This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 69, ha! Action Cards Part 2. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. It's time to rank the action cards. We're gonna do that so fast. We're gonna rank the action cards. Everybody look out, cause this list won't matter in a year. Hey. Hey Hunter. Welcome to the show. That was the that was the new jingle for our new segment called Action Cards Part Two. Uh that we'll never do again. <laughs> do you hear that? We'll never do that again, Matt. No. Um, okay. Aw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, actually, I got a bone to pick with you at the very beginning of the it. show. Because uh, I, I have to endure so much from you all the time. Like you doing brilliant bits Intros. like that yeah. um, without even telling me that that's what you're going to do. Um, sure. You po- I didn't tell myself I was going to do that. Yeah. Well, you posted a really embarrassing picture of me from when I was a child. <laughs> on the discord and i feel like it really kind of lowered my status uh-huh uh well not that i had much status within the community in general sure i think i'm traditionally kind of known as the dumb fun one um <laughs> which is not necessarily i don't necessarily have a problem with that uh but uh matt you posted a very embarrassing picture of me when i was like 14 years old uh you were needing- 18 but go on <laughs> I was 18 in that picture? Wasn't no way. Wasn't that senior year? No, it no, wasn't senior year. No, that was year. not senior right. year. That was, I thought You were that, 16. Yeah, I was we 16. We could drive. I, I drove us there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you were, we were 16, and we were seeing uh, Zach Galifianakis live and in concert. Uh, <laughs> in concert. <laughs> yeah. Singing, singing Tomorrow <laughs> by from Annie. <laughs> yes, yes. He did do that. Um, and yeah, uh, I just want you to know that I was upset by that, and those of you that... Uh, haven't been on the Discord. Uh, there's a little Easter egg for you to go look for. I don't believe it's pinned anywhere, is it? No, I didn't pin it. I saved you that, Grace. And also, here's how I know you're full of it, because right now you're publicly announcing that out there is a really embarrassing picture of you. And if you were truly embarrassed, you would have just not said anything. Well, this so. is about owning embarrassment and, and sure. trying to okay. make people think that I don't <laughs> care. Um, but I've given se- you the challenge to, to go ahead and match it, I, but I don't think... an an as embarrassing photo of me. No, I th- I think the things I could unearth exists. that are embarrassing for you are so embarrassing that I yeah. don't have the heart to do it. What you, know what you could I mean? do is you would find things I've said on the internet that are more embarrassing than uh-huh. pictures of me. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I think that you could unearth some pretty dumb arguments. I mean, honestly, I think Little Little Goblin Britches Part One and Part Two are is a tour de force. Is no, it's it's way more embarrassing. I showed it to. Um, I told you to post the second part of that. Well, we're, no. we are now talking about things that nobody knows what we're talking about. We are way off. Go to YouTube, search "Little Goblin Britches" uh, part two. Part no, both of them. They're well, okay, part watch one. Both of them. Part one is more embarrassing because it's dumber. Yeah, it's not funny. Right. <laughs> it's just well, not, ni- part neither two of them. Is- God, nah, neither of funny. them are funny. No. I'll stand by part two. The forever. only thing that's funny right. about... No, hate, l- wait, I, let me put this in. Oh, the only this. thing that's funny about part two is when Sean is filming the, the sketch 
and there's and a toaster can... and then the toast the toast pops out of the toaster and it scares him and the camera shakes and in those days He's a very bad cameraman right and then we just left that in like that's just yeah. in the sketch the cameraman yeah. getting scared by some toast yeah we're um, absolute morons and you shouldn't watch our dumb videos from college because we were dumb college people Let's, right please get me out of this yeah okay fine so today <laughs> is part two of our discussion about action cards we promised you we promised yes. you two weeks ago that we, we were going to give word. you the definitive yes. uh in order from worst to best yep there will be a number one action card crowned at the end of this discussion yes and there will be a number 59 action card crowned, crowned ve- very early discussion. in this discussion yeah <laughs> very early. Um, i'm very excited i think uh i think those there are there have been some discussions before out there on Board Game Geek and probably other places um, yes. where they have ordered the action cards into a tier list, and I just want to let you know, uh, this you, ain't that. This ain't that. Uh, <laughs> we have done it way more definitively than those. Those mm, posts oh, are so uh, so definitive. Those posts it's are just... inferior to the. <laughs> this is a, no Matt. We sorry, worked I'm hard sorry. on this. You're right. And, we, we know exactly two hours exactly where every single card goes in the ranking. And if you disagree, like let's say like we put one card, let's say we put uh, Summit at number 22. Let's just say we did. Sure. Let's uh, say if we you did that. think that Summit is actually more number 23 or 21, you're wrong. You're dead you wrong. are wrong. It should be stated. There's no way we're doing errata next week because we're not wrong about any of this. And so there will be nothing. It's to, all to correct. Errata. That's what's crazy yeah. is it's all correct. Absolutely. Yeah. This this is the most beautiful list you've ever seen. Mm. It's a huge list. It's beautiful. Do, can you wait? Can you hear? I'm doing the chef's kiss. Uh, yeah. Uh, here. One more. Perfect. One more. Uh. Perfect. Nailed it. Episode That's 69. The, uh. The only errata right. I will accept, and I will accept everyone, everyone that uh, that types into the Discord or in Reddit, wherever you respond to this show, if you type nailed it, you're going in the next episode you're in going the errata. In the next episode. Because yeah. that's everyone the only errata we're accepting. Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed it. Let's I am chomping at the bit to dive into this thing because we've just got so much official definitive stuff to to throw at you. You know, I just kind of want to stay out of the discussion though first and just continue to talk more and more about how we, this is going to be a hundred percent accurate this list and it's we will accept no other answers okay number 59 number 59 this is number like dice, this is like a dice tower thing <laughs> yeah it right? is number Num- 59 action card number <sighs> 59 is you guessed it we, we, it's not Space Cats, Peace Turtles, if we aren't completely wrong right off the start and confusing legal text no, is the worst action card No, this is confusing legal text is the worst. And a lot of people are going to say, is that one actually the worst? Because there's there's two others I could think of that are probably worse. Um, but uh, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, I'm going to, I really have to just start this off by saying, yeah, I, I know. Thank you. Thank you for your arguments about confusing legal text. I get it. It's better than we say it is. But. No, that's actually it's wrong. Not. It's yeah, actually just wrong. Actually, it's wrong. <laughs> um, confusing legal text is the worst card. When is it useful? Can you tell me? Uh, during the agenda public execution, if you get elected as the person being publicly executed. Okay. Full stop. Uh, that's it. 
That's yeah. it. No, we talked about this last week, and I will reiterate it. Of course, there's other instances, and it probably should be ranked higher. But I refute the number of times I've seen games ruined because of this card for any new player. I have to keep it this low. If anything, you can think of this lift list as maybe more geared towards I don't know newer players playing on the same types of maps we play on, right? Like cooperative builds. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Maps. This is a balanced map centric uh, action card ranking, and it's also geared towards. Just like just burn that confusing legal text card and get it out of there. Right. Let's let's get to what is actually probably the worst card though. Right. So number fifty-eight. Number fifty-eight. Salvage. Salvage. After you win a space combat, uh, your opponent gives you all their commodities. Hey Hunter, when you play the trade strategy card, what do you usually do then with uh, your commodities that got replenished? Well, because I do everything in the right order with trade, I will trade my commodities to other players in exchange for their trade agreements. Right. So what do you almost never have? Just commodities. Like sitting commodities. on Commodities. Yeah. Salvage is very bad because you need to win a combat against someone who happens to have commodities in their tray. And that's it. Yeah. Sometimes you get like two trade goods. It's 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 not a good card. And you have uh, to win. You have to win the combat in order right. to get them, too. So, right. I mean, that like that's a pretty high price. You're never doing overall. an attack just because you're going to get to salvage some commodities. And I mean, I guess unless it's your last two trade goods for spend 10 trade goods or something. I sure, guess you sure. could do it that way. But that's it's just so rare that that's the case. And it's going to cost you a command counter. Like on yeah. top of all of this, you got to spend a command counter to maybe like, let's say you're doing it for like a frivolous uh, space battle right. for two commodities. Uh, I don't think that's worth it at all. At no. all. Right. At all. Number 57. Number Tactical 57. Bombardment. Action. Choose one system that contains one or more of your units that have bombardment exhaust each planet controlled by other players in that system. Very um, specific. So specific. So often, if you are already blockading a space dock or something and like haven't moved your fleet elsewhere yet... It's a lot of times it's late in the round. If you're doing it at the beginning of the round, all you're doing is exhausting one or two planets, maybe three if it's the Hakan home system, I guess. This is like one of the most specific action cards out there besides confusing legal text. Yeah. I mean, this uh, is just. The only point for it is that it's a stall. That's literally it. Right. Um, and and very... even then, how many instances are you even set up where you can use it as a stall? You have right. to have a ship with bombardment of a pl above a planet that doesn't that like isn't one of your planets mm -hmm. now this is where we're getting into some ruling stuff and i'm trying to avoid a bunch of the really weird annoying technical stuff that we talked about last week there have been recent dane rulings i'm pretty sure the consensus is you can't do very you can't use negative effects against yourself now there might be a couple instances out there like of specific action cards where Dane has ruled the other way, but like we're going to get to Lucky Shot later. I'm pretty sure he ruled that you cannot destroy one of your own Dreadnoughts cruisers or whatever with Lucky Shot. So I'm holding that same logic to ta tactical bombardment. You can't exhaust your own planets with... Actually, this card is specific. I'm sorry. I'm going off on a dumb point. It's, it's got to be a planet controlled by other players. So anyways, right. so right. specific. Number 56... Ancient burial sites. This one's annoying. This is the most annoying card in the deck because when we're doing it tournament has its games, own it has like this special timing window that no other card has, and the effect is so minimal that nobody ever play. Everybody's always looking for an opportunity to where it's like, oh, maybe it'll be useful this agenda phase, and it never is. So every round, I have to be like, is anybody playing ancient burial sites? One. Two, three, no, okay, great. So we waste like three to four seconds every single agenda phase just waiting on nobody to play this card. I don't think anybody uh, has played it yet. Like, yeah, at the start the of the agenda phase, choose one player, exhaust each 
cultural planet owned by that player. Uh, we added it up. This For an agenda phase, all the cultural planets could add up to 18 total influence. So if you take the average of that, you're knocking three influence off of somebody. Uh-huh. Not good. Whoop, Not whoop good. Whoop-de-doo. Not, Not good. good. Real bad. Real bad. Uh, number 55. Reparations. Exhaust one planet that player controls and ready one planet you control. That's after is, another player yeah. gains control of a planet you control. So uh, whatever you 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 took my planet, I get to cost you one of your planets. Uh huh. Can be uh, can be cool in really big circumstances. Usually, you just never even play it. This is the first card Asarl discards, and this is the first one you discard if your hand goes above seven. In, uh, in a lot of cases, I want to say something about so it so any effect we've already had two uh, effects that involve exhausting other people. Actually, we've had three cards now that are about exhausting yeah. other people's planets. Uh, yeah. The problem with this type of effect is that most of the time your average player has, um, if it's at the beginning of a round, a lot of planets that they're going to be able to use to build plastic or to accomplish objectives. And exhausting yeah. like a single planet isn't really going to be like a clutch thing to do. There is right. only one card I feel like that has kind of an exhaust other planet, maybe two that you could actually use in like a strategic way. And what's yeah. horrible about reparations is that you're not even getting to determine you have the no timing. control. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like, just, it's just a little like, meh, I happen to have this card. So it's, like, it's, it, if it's ever useful, it's not even going to be of your own doing. It's just going to be like a happenstance usefulness, which right. is that makes it really hard to keep a card like that in your hand because you're right. not going to be able to. You need to keep the cards that are actually useful when you need them. To right. Be and that you can use to be like, let's say maybe let's say you had reparations and you were like, oh, I think I'm about to get attacked. So this is great. Um, what if they change their mind? Now you just right. have this useless card. And what right. if you discarded like another card because you thought that no, yeah. no, 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 I'm actually going to get to use it, and it's going to wreck. It's going to wreck this round for that other guy. Right. And then they're like, wait, no, I could attack over here. And then yeah. uh, oopsie doopsie. <laughs> yeah. And if they really need to, they could sabotage it. Now that being said, all of these cards at like the bottom of this list, they're never going to get sabotaged because nobody even cares. Well, but see, that's that's the thing that makes some of them really horrible. Is like, let's say by some off chance reparations is going to hurt somebody else. Well, then it becomes sabotageable. Right. So it's like. Every card that we're going to talk about pretty much has the problem of like, well, it could get sabotaged. Um, right. But some of these, it's like, well, they're not even useful most of the time. But if they yeah. were, you could still sabotage them. Yeah. So. I want to clarify your wording a little bit. I mean, technically, every single action card is sabotageable. Like that, that oh, is yeah, true for yeah, all yeah. of them. Yes. But, but our point is to say there are some where it's like, that's a card that needs to get sabotaged versus there are cards that are just like... It's not yeah. going to make a difference one way or the other. Well, a yeah, great that, example of a card that, like, you, sh you, I don't see why it would ever get sabotaged is number 54. Number Industrial 54. Has an action gain one trade good for each industrial planet you control. This is the first one that really takes a big hit because of our map building style. If yeah. you're building balanced galaxies, this is even worse. Now, if you have maps where it's like, oh, it's actually not that weird for someone to have like four industrial planets, they still have to get lucky and get this card into their hand. But even then, it's still only worth four trade goods, which is is fine, but usually it's worth about like one or two. Um, yeah. Basically, this is this is a good stall, and that's about it. This, mm -hmm. this is a stall action that anybody can use, and... Um, yeah. Yeah, and actually we've got we've kind of got a series of cards coming up that are all kind of bunk stalls. But before we get to that, we've got number 53. This is ooh, this is the first uh 
This is the first point of discretion. Uh, you know, th- we're going to have disagreement here. Yeah. Uh, Assassinate representatives. Ooh. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, I, can, I feel it. I already feel the heat right uh-huh. now from uh-huh. everyone furiously uh-huh. typing. I hear the clacking. After an agenda is revealed, choose one player. That player cannot vote on this agenda. Hunter, why are we ranking assassinate representatives so low? This is, we get to cut somebody out of a vote. Yeah, but uh, you can't stop them from playing cards. So let's say they can't vote, uh, but they could still play writers, which could have been their plan anyways. Right. Um, and you've just incentivized them to play writers. Uh-huh. If uh, they had a lot of votes and they were already maybe kind of like, ah, I wouldn't mind getting my my technology writer out there. You just gave them a reason to play their technology writer. Right. And the other problem is that there's still four other players in the game. So yeah. there's you who played it, the person that you assassinated. And also you have to make this call after the ad- agenda is revealed. So right. this is going to happen while in the same timing that people are playing writers, uh, right. which is going to make it pretty difficult to call. Now, there are some pretty fringe cases we could come up with. Like, let's say a lot of people have played writers, and then you throw right, it in like kind three of people last left minute. in the vote. Yeah, yeah. You, you can, can guarantee yourself a vote with this, right? Mm-hmm. If you're if you've got more than one person, but not more than the other, yes, you can assassinate the representatives of that third person. But we're talking about a situation that's like pretty specific. I'm not saying this is like crazy situational, but it is fairly situational, and it just we felt like assassinate representatives the number of times i've seen it used to great effect in games has is actually pretty low right usually someone gets assassinated and that person's like no okay well that kind of sucks i guess oh well there's also um cards that they can play to still influence the vote exactly after assassinate rep so assassinate representatives i would say is the weakest of all of the agenda phase effects exactly um Besides, I mean, obviously, we already named uh, ancient ancient burial sites. Um, Right. The the other thing about assassinate representatives that I don't really get is that, honestly, it feels like a weaker version of political secret. Right. Political secret. I mean, the problem is you have to get a political secret from someone, but still, the the fact that political secret is so, so, so much better than assassinate representatives is is a huge factor. And political secret is very gettable. So, I mean, if, if you're... If you're... I guess if you're in a position where you're like, oh, I really like assassinate representatives, just get somebody's political secret. They'll trade right. it to you. It's like the, yeah. you it's can like, probably buy it off them at some point. In yeah. The game. Um, and and in even throw it in as like a little extra in a trade. Like I think I think political secret uh, is a much better card in almost every way. The only way that it's not better is perhaps the timing because political secret is when an agenda is revealed. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. So you, you're kind of calling the shot a little earlier with Political Secret, but they also right. can't play action cards when you use right. it. So, right. yeah. Um, so it's also worth noting, when we structured this list, we started with the writers. We kind of structured the right. We, we balanced, we, we ranked the writers, and then we started inserting things in there. And yeah, the Assassinate Representative had to go below all the writers. And there's just a few writers that we also rank fairly low. We're going to get to them in a, in a few minutes, but I, I just, I feel okay with assassinate representatives at number 53, but I know in other rankings, people put it much higher. So yeah. I can't wait to hear the backlash. Number 52, 
upgrade after you activate a system that contains one or more of your ships replace one of your cruisers in that system with one dreadnought from your reinforcements we talked about upgrade last week in terms of it's one of those ones that's really confusing people always mess it up you have to be like activating your system to build there to use it and all you're doing is turning one cruiser into a dreadnought so you're gaining two resources worth of value in ship obviously dreadnought is usually considered a way better ship than a cruiser yes um but it's it's a slow this is a slow step and it's not a stall that's the biggest thing there are lots of other cards that like do things to ships or help you gain ships and those are stall actions and so we had to rank this one low because it's it's just because it's not a stall it has less uses and all it, it is doing is getting you a dreadnought right and it's costing you a command counter so you're really not netting a lot of value um right. because you already had to have the cruiser that's two resources and now you're spending three influence worth right. of command counter to turn it into a dreadnought that's only two resources more now the right. only time that i actually feel like upgrade is used successfully is when you have a cruiser hanging out above a space dock and then someone is going to build out of that space dock and they just kind of throw that in along with it um right. but that's just not a very cool card then it's not big yeah it's not it's just not a big deal when it really comes down to it it's just a thing you got to do how fun for you uh, number 51, war effort action, place one cruiser from your reinforcements in a system that contains one or more of your ships. There's going to be a theme here where all of these, again, like anything that's like mining, initi all the initiatives where you gain some money or stuff where you just gain some ships, all of those things just have this marginal cost where it's like, yeah, I got to save myself like a dollar or two dollars or mm -hmm. whatever. So like they all get end up getting ranked lower because compared to things that are big swing factors, you're never going to have a big swing because you got to place one cruiser in a system that already had your ships in it. But it is good that war effort is a stall and it's a stall exactly. that you just kind of net a little bit of stuff on top of it. Um, While a dreadnought is better than a cruiser, a stall is better than a not stall. Yeah, for sure. Um, Let's go to the next one, number 50. Yeah, we're officially in the top 50 of all action cards. Wow, they're wow. Nine, nine down, 50 to go. <laughs> Lucky shot, action, destroy one dreadnought, cruiser, or destroyer in a system that contains a planet you control. So this is a little bit similar to our tactical bombardment situation, but the inverse. Yeah. We need to be on the receiving end of a tactical bombardment to use Lucky Shot. Um, I uh, what I like about it is that it's a stall. Um, I think it's better than war effort because in a weird situation, I could maybe see Lucky Shot making the difference like on a strategic level where it's yeah. like, okay, so if I soften up this, like if I take out this Dreadnought, which I mean, it's always That's the main reason you right? use Lucky Shot. Yeah, you use right. Lucky Shot because A, it's destroy. So you are straight up killing a Dreadnought. Both shot, no sustained damage, doesn't matter. So that's mm -hmm. huge. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, keep going. Uh, and, and yeah, so the fact that it could swing uh, a space battle makes it, in my eyes, better than war effort, but right. obviously only a little bit, um, and it's good as a solve. That's pretty much it. Uh, yeah. that's and it's more situational. So right. it's, it was tricky. It was actually tricky to put this one above war effort, but in the end, the effect that it has just seemed like a bigger deal. It was, it was you know, what it ends up doing to your opponent sometimes can be a very big deal, whereas right. war effort, you got a cruiser. Great. Yeah, I would say they're, I mean, uh, well, uh, no, 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 sorry. What I mean to say is that Lucky Shot is definitely 50, and War Effort is definitely 51, and there's no <laughs> argue, there's no wiggle room there. It's set in stone. I have it. I'm getting a tattoo of it. Number 49, Plague, action. Choose one planet that is controlled by another player. Roll one die for each infantry on that planet for each result of six or greater. Destroy one of those units. I harped on this last week. Plague has a chance to do nothing. Yeah. And it has a very, in, in 
you know, in decent situations, it has very little chance to completely wipe out all the ground forces of a planet. Right. Yeah, I'm, it's, I'm gonna, it's most often it's going to kill 50% of the ground forces. I'm going to go ahead and go on the record here and say that if it weren't for me, this would probably be a lot lower. Matt, I felt like you were coming out pretty hard against this card. Yeah. Um, and I tried uses, to... though. Like, you, yeah. you, you can soften a big stack. We saw a plague come out on a huge stack in a recent game, and it, it did make a difference. I mean, yeah. it, it didn't save them the combat. They still... It was not enough to stop a big stack. Like, it was... They went from 17 down to 10. Right. Um, that's not a huge effect. And that's that's why I think it deserves a little bit. I mean, it's we very specifically put it at 49. It's not a it's not a good spot by any means because it's not a good card by any means. Right. But the situation that it combats is a situation that is honestly right now in TI4, there's just not a lot you can do. When right. somebody has a option. giant stack. Yeah. yeah. If somebody's it's got a giant stack option. of, of uh, infantry. There's Plague, there's X-89. Uh, that's about it. There's like it. Unstable Planet, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean... I should, I, uh, yeah, Unstable Planet. Right. right. That's a whole other situation. Right, that's a whole about. other thing, and that's and that I would even see that, like, Plague is like, could possibly help against like an Arborek that's like hugely stacked on Mechatol yeah. or on their home system or whatever, you know? Right. Uh, number 48, Economic Initiative, Action, Ready, Each, Cultural Planet, you control this is the second initiative uh, we basically put it above industrial initiative because the number of industrial planets you usually have is very few uh cultural planets you usually see this used to do all the stuff you want to do in a round then reset yourself back up to eight influence or eight resources uh for that objective yeah. so best case scenario this kind of nets you a point uh worst case scenario it really just doesn't do anything and you burn it or you stall it's yeah. a, it's a decent it's an okay stall because it's gonna maybe get you a little bit more money or something, um, but but this one's a it was it's tough to like really even consider it. I just forget it's even a card most of the time. Mm -hmm. Like every time I draw economic initiative, I'm like, oh yeah, this. I guess I'll find a time to use this at some point. But it's never like a part of your plan, right? Unless it's like round two, you got lucky with an economic initiative and you can buy that stuff and then still score eight resources that's like its best you know situation right um and i'll say that kind of from from number 54 industrial initiative to about right now these cards are kind of all more valuable as a stall most yeah. of them than they have been for their effect Actually, and i yeah. feel like this is the only one that i feel like i could regularly see it may be mattering a little bit more than the others, but not by a lot. I would say they're all, you know, well, they're all solidly in the slot that they're in for history, but <laughs> there's not a lot of difference uh, between, between them. them. Uh, right. And then we get to something a little bit different. Number 47, Fire Team. After your ground forces make combat rolls during a round of ground combat, re-roll any number of dice. Uh, this, this one is interesting. Yeah, this is all. This was a hard one to put. It definitely needed to go lower. Um, right. I think there is, there could have been an argument for it being even lower than it is. Uh, but that yeah. argument, of course, is wrong. It is number forty-seven. Now it's number forty-seven. The the real point comes down to there are lots of cards that affect combat, and any card where you're just getting to re-roll is a little bit worse than straight up bonuses. And very specifically. Fire team is only rerolling ground forces, which means it's only rerolling eights in most cases. Yeah, but what I like about it, and the reason why I, I kind of was like, this needs to go near plague, 
Um, but the why I yeah. like it better than Plague is uh, that it's just letting you re-roll. Like, it's, if, if it was like re-roll all the dice, I would really hate that. I, I mean, obviously, that would be much worse. Um, but if you have good uh, infantry, this could... I don't know. This could be pretty clutch. Right. If you have lots of infantry that are good, if you're soul with a good amount of infantry, it can be, it can actually be kind of a huge deal. I mean, yeah. it, it, we've, we've seen games like decided because of a crazy uh, effective use of this card. Mm -hmm. um, but more often than not, you reroll some mates, you don't get any more hits than you were going to get anyways. What's nice about it is that it is reroll any number of your dice rather than like you have to reroll all your dice. Wait, that's what I just said. Oh, sorry. I'm I'm just I'm I'm talking over you. <laughs> Whatever. Let's move on to number forty six. Number forty six now and ghost forever. Ship. Ghost ship. Action Ooh, place boo. one destroyer from your reinforcements in a non home system that contains a wormhole and does not contain other players' ships. Now, why do we like this one more than a lot of these others? Because I think some people are going to be like, what? Ghost ship? Yeah, because it's it's just a destroyer, right? It's one resource worth of stuff. Why uh -huh. is it not? Uh -huh. And it's in a specific place, right? So why is, how could, how could war effort possibly be worse than ghost ship? Well, well because it can be worth a victory point. And mm -hmm. it really does just come down to that. And more importantly than that, oftentimes it's also used as like a really clever way to gain some new trade partners. Yep. If um, you've got a ghost ship, you you plop it down in that empty beta on the other side of the galaxy that just gave you two new trade partners, and they're on the because they're on the opposite side of the galaxy, they're more than happy to trade with you rather than like having to deal with their neighbor or whatever. Yeah, it has a little more. Some of these cards uh, that we've talked about already, uh, there's kind of a like like with fire team and plague uh, and lucky shot. There's like mm -hmm. some specific uh, like situations you can dream up where like oh that could be useful and i just feel like i've seen the ghost ship situation come up a lot like i've seen at least three or four times someone score a secret objective yep. point off just having ghost right. ship and that's it because if you're la if you are if you stall a little bit and you're the your last action of the round is ghost ship nobody's gonna care nobody cares nobody's gonna go attack that destroyer they don't have time they're doing other stuff or they've already passed Right. And so you just got yourself the free point. So when it when it is really good, it just gained you that secret objective. Mm -hmm. You just got a point. And so there's that, also that's super good six six ships in uh, in right. Yeah. yeah, that's another huge. That's one another that one that it helps off with. of that. Um, uh, sometimes maybe even adjacent to anomalies. There's there's a few different situations where you just need that one more ship somewhere that's just not in your stuff, and that's the perfect way to get it there. Yeah. Um. Next one is number forty five. Bribery. bribery. After the speaker votes on an agenda, spend any number of trade goods. For each trade good spent, cast one additional vote for any outcome. Now, I have a soft spot in my heart for this card. I actually really like this This one like moved a lot. This one jumped all over the place in our yeah. ranking. Yeah. Um, because, well, first off, you have to compare it to Distinguished Counselors, which we'll get to. But those are the two change your vote va value cards, right? Mm -hmm. This one has the added benefit of being after everything. So this is the surprise. Yeah. Distinguished Counselor is not a surprise. It's just flat five extra votes. This one, though, the problem is because you have to spend trade goods and spending trade goods on just votes is like a little bit of a tough proposition and a little weak. Uh, it just it just brought it down a little bit lower for me. Um, what really, I think, solidifies this as number 45 is our next one is going to be our first rider. And I think we had to put bribery below any writers. It is not as powerful as any writer. Mm -hmm. And that's what puts this where it is. I think, I uh, like, 
I my, my, the, my favorite thing about it is the the timing of it that it happens yeah. at at the very end because right. there's a situation that you can dream up that happens pretty frequently where people don't want to spend that many votes on stuff right. so right. they're trying to just like they're trying to get that easy like tie situation um, right. where they just tie it up and then the speaker decides it the way that everybody wants it to and then bribery right. comes out and all you end up doing is spending like one trade good to basically right. win an outcome however the problem about that situation is that if it's an important agenda at all, right. most people will price it out so that bribery cannot swing it. Right. Um, because you just don't do that. You don't, if, if it's, if we're talking about, you know, Charter the Throne or Mutiny, you don't right. let it go by just like a vote or two. One, right, um, right. So, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, yeah, the situations where it is best is for agendas that are fairly meaningless. And yeah, so it's, yeah, that's, that's the weird case of it. Uh, okay, number 44. Diplomacy writer, after an agenda is revealed, you cannot vote on... We know how agenda or how writers work. To, to go over it, you don't get to vote on the agenda, but you predict aloud the outcome of the agenda. If your prediction is correct, you gain an effect. So diplomacy writer's effect is choose one system that contains a planet you control. Each other player places a command token from their reinforcements in that system. We did talk about this last week in that... This is like diplomacy, except technically better because you get to use it on Mechatol Rex, uh -huh. but you don't have absolute control of it definitely happening. The problem with any and all writers is it is not a guarantee that you're going to get it. You're you, right. At best, it is a 50% chance. Yeah. Well, that's not true. There's, of course, there are a couple of agendas that can come out that are a, you only have one thing to vote on, and that's a very broken situation. I'm not going to account for that. At best, it's a for or against, and you get a 50% chance of of getting the writer. Yeah. Um, I think in a lot of cases, it's it's kind of... The problem with this writer, as uh, compared to all the other ones, is that this writer needs to match a very specific situation that you are mm -hmm. in in order to be useful, and that yeah. you have something this round that you need to use diplomacy on. Um, right. However, if players can see that it's going to mean a lot for you to get that, uh, yeah. then it will be blocked basically although that all being yeah, said right. we recently saw a game where that did not Didn't. happen yeah well and i think but that's partially because i think the the players just really weren't cons because diplomacy writer is so often the one people shrug off and don't think about they ignored the fact that they were letting the person on mechatol rex get it that mm -hmm. might be a misrepresentation of how all the players felt about it but that would be my argument for why it happened the way it did usually if a player has a good position and they're on mechatol and they play diplomacy writer no one's going to let it go that no, nobody's going to vote on it that way unless yeah. um, obviously it depends on the agenda. But the, the gist being basically just that diplomacy writer is feels like the worst writer because the situations where it's useful are very rare. Right. And it's very likely that even if you are in this uh, situation where diplomacy writer is going to be very helpful to you, there are two ways out of that. One being the warfare strategy card. Exactly. If somebody yeah. takes that. And then the other being unexpected action. Right. So there are two counters to what you want to do. Yeah. So even in this kind of magic Christmas land situation where diplomacy writer is going to be a big part of your game, uh, it's not unblockable. Right. Um, so, yeah. So number 43, warfare, warfare writer. writer. After an agenda is revealed, all the things you gain, you place one dreadnought from your reinforcements in a system that contains one or more of your ships. So it's sort of like war effort, but instead of a cruiser, you get a dreadnought. Yeah. $4 um, worth of stuff. 
I think the reason that it's better than something like war effort uh, or upgrade is that because uh, we're throwing it into the agenda phase, I feel like it's you're likely to just get a Dreadnought. This is just kind of, this card I think is more likely to be like, if, if you play it on the right side, I don't think it really influences people that much. No, yeah. They're just kind of willing to give you a Dreadnought. And so this is probably the best get a free Dreadnought card, actually, in right. a weird way. Right. Um, D- Diplomacy Rider is usually nobody cares about it, so you're going to get it. But it's if nobody cares about it, it's because the effect you're going to gain from it is effect is not useful. Mm-hmm. Warfare Rider, it's just you're not getting very much, which means people are never going to care that you played it yeah so yeah it is it is very much like you're just playing gain one dreadnought mm-hmm. uh, if you're playing it right i mean you you obviously can just make a really bad judgment call and and put it on the wrong side that nobody's going to go for or you can get unlucky but in most cases you're putting it on the side that's going to actually get the votes and it's not going to sway anybody's opinion yeah so it's just it's just a free dreadnought and it shouldn't it shouldn't throw the vote one way or the other so just predict correctly and it doesn't have that aspect that some of the juicier writers have which is that they actually convince people to go the other way generally right. warfare writer is kind of in this goldilocks zones of not being a big enough deal that people are going to block you from getting it so you just yep. get your free dreadnought which is nice right i would say the one caveat there is if you're barony with like all the tech you know duranium nes all that online mm-hmm. and you're like gonna put it right next to a combat that's going to be a big deal then you might get like one or two players that are like uh we can't actually let them get that dreadnought that's a big deal Mm -hmm. so there's a couple cases but that's super fringe number 42 distinguished Distinguished counselor after After you cast uh, we we keep doing this you do it go go ahead yeah yeah uh after you cast votes on an outcome of an agenda cast five additional votes for that outcome okay so this is it's, basically bribery, just a little bit better. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't cost you any of your monies to get these extra votes. it's not a surprise. Votes. It is not a surprise, but however, the the surprise part of bribery uh, doesn't need to be overestimated because yeah. it will, yeah. in some ways, it will be a surprise. Uh, if you are second to last, if you're sitting right next to the speaker... Uh, then it might be a surprise, basically. So depending right. on the order and how people played writers and stuff, Distinguished Counselor could basically function the same way. So it shouldn't yeah. be overestimated. The fact that bribery always goes after the speaker doesn't make it some sort of super powerful thing. There are right. going to be plenty of players that are able to use Distinguished Counselor to, to get the jump on a vote. Right. And it's not going to cost them any money on top. It just costs them the car. Right, right. It, it, it barely even costs them... A vote. like they they can do it in the first vote for something that's not a huge deal but they do want it and you only spend like one of your own votes you get six votes nobody wants to spend seven so they just let you have uh-huh. the the little thing and that's great the other thing that i think kind of boosts distinguished counselor even more in my mind is and this i know this is super specific but when the agenda comes out comes out that like limits everyone to one vote you can yeah. still use distinguished counselor and by gaining five additional votes you guarantee any election no matter what your way Mm -hmm. and except for like bribery with a bunch of trade goods is the only thing that could counter you right so distinguished counselor has this fun benefit of if that certain agenda has come out it now is an incredibly powerful card yeah because you can give yourself any agenda whenever you want yeah and five votes with just to compare it back to bribery um, this is five votes which would cost you five trade goods which is an awful lot of money to spend on an agenda 
Yeah. Uh, even in the situation of that agenda being out and everyone needing to spend more, if I play my distinguished counselor, is the person with bribery really going to spend six trade goods to beat my vote? Yeah, that's a lot. No. That's too much. I don't, I don't think they ever will. Okay. Number 41. Mining initiative. Action. Gade trade goods equal to the resource value of one planet you control. This is our last initiative card, our last just like gain some money. There are a few other gain money things, but this is the last one that's just like strictly an action where you're just going to pump in some money. Um, and this one's interesting. The, what's nice about it is it can be any planet, which means it can be any home planet. Yeah. So this one got boosted up above the others because if you're L1Z1X or you're Barony or anyone with like a four planet, four resource home planet, Mentax, Soul, all these factions... It's it's really good. I mean, that's four trade goods that you can use, and you don't have to exhaust the planet. You, know, you just gain some trade goods. Yeah, and it's a free good money. stall. It's a good stall. It's a good stall, and it's free money, and it can be worth a lot for certain factions. Yeah, I mean, um, honestly... At, at, at worst, it's two or three, right? Hopefully, you have one planet that's worth three resources, and you can gain three trade goods for it. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I actually really like it. Um, and even like probably could have been talked into it being higher, but too bad it's 41. Too bad. And now it's, it's 41, 41 forever now. That's and just kind of how it goes. Number 40. Spy. Uh, as an action, choose one player. That player gives you one random action card from his hand. Man, it's hard to place something like Spy in a list. I mean, we put it at 40, which yeah. is where it will be until the end of time, but... <laughs> It was hard because it it's moved, random. Yeah, that's another one that moved a lot. It's a random card, and there's the sabotage factor, right? You have to counter in the... F this is the most sabotageable card, right. is what we sort of decided. But see, if that's... To, to see categorize the, it as. See, when, you, when we say that, I don't know that I feel that same way. I think if I had like a full hand of action cards, sure, I would chance sure. it and hopefully not yeah. lose my sabotage. Um, but it depends. If I've only got three, uh, I don't know. But here's yeah. the thing. I think that Spy... <laughs> This is a weird thing to say, but I think because Spy is not that good, it's potential. Like, if somebody sabotages a Spy, I consider that a net yeah, gain. Yeah, that is a win. Yeah, yeah that is that's a, win. a huge I win. I burned a Sabotage. Yeah, because Spy is not very good. So if somebody right. uses a Sabotage against it, that's honestly, it's kind of a weird paradox where I feel like its yeah. power comes from how not great it is, basically. Yes. yeah. Right, right, because yeah, you 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 in theory you should sabotage it because it's better than them just getting the, your sabotage for free. But like you say, then you're sabotaging a spy. Ooh, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, uh, but it's a it's it's a stall, um, and I think it's one of the obviously we think it's one of the better stalls, um, yeah. not the absolute best stall, but no. I. I think whereas mining initiative is like, oh, you really, you know, you get something really solid every time uh, for it. Spy, you might get something crazy. So it's kind of hard to decide exactly where it goes. Right. You might get something useless or you might get something Confusing really important. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, useless or useless. But yeah, no, or you could get, you know, something much better. Right. Number 39. Construction writer. Uh, after an agenda is revealed, you cannot vote on this agenda. Predict out loud an outcome of the agenda. If your prediction is correct, place one space stock from your reinforcements on a planet you control. Uh, I, I have a soft spot for this writer in yeah. my heart. Um, I think it's, it's it, it like Warfare Rider, something that people don't really, they don't care so much. Doesn't swing right. a this, vote. I would say this is the last writer that has that factor yeah. in it. That's like, usually people don't really mind that you've played it 
Yeah. But space um, stocks are hard to get. Construction yeah, is a, like a, a difficult thing in right. this game. Exactly. So it, it is a much more convenient way to get a space stock, and you're probably not going to get shut out of getting to build that space stock. Um, so yeah, it can it can feel really good to, to get it out there. Um, it's just, it's not... If it's mid to late game, it's not always very... Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's... It, I mean, if it's late game, getting that last space stock is kind of meaningless unless it you needed your third space stock out right like that's mm-hmm. just the only instance where it's like oh thank goodness i had that construction writer but in like round five a construction writer really feels worthless mm-hmm. to, to play on a on a an agenda i if i get a construction writer i will start planning to use it though and i'll try yeah. and use it as soon See as if I there's can. a situation yeah, um, yeah just because sure. i because of that threshold of like you know, it's you know what it is. It's that it, it, there's not really a way that it's going to get you a VP. So yeah. people kind of, I mean, there's that one, but that's basically it. Um, right. But besides that, it's probably not going to get you a VP. Uh, but it could help set you up for a much better mid game than you were going to have. Um, right. Oftentimes, I feel like I'm playing as a faction. Like Hakan is a good example of a faction where. I actually need construction really bad, yeah. but yeah. I can't always make the time to to take it. Um, right. There, it, I, I agree with that, that there's certainly some factions where it's like, oh, thank goodness, a construction writer. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But then there are others where it's like, yeah, whatever. It's not a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Number 38. Focused research as an action, spend four trade goods to research one technology. Um, this is, I like uh, the the ability to get a tech kind of out of the traditional cycle of the tech primary or tech secondary. That's what I like about it. It does feel like a steep price though. Exactly. The the fact that it is very for trade goods, which means like even for Mentac, mirror computing doesn't help this. So Mm -hmm. it's just like always straight up and down for trade goods. And that does feel like a big cost. Uh, If I had to do the secondary of tech and spend for trade goods just to do the tech, that would feel like a lot. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yes. yes. Spending spending Zobat and one trade good is not a big deal or even like two resources and two trade goods. But the second you're really burning four trade goods just for tech, it feels costly. And so mm-hmm. that's that's why this card. Now, the other advantage, though, is it is a stall. And like you said, this is technically like granting you an advantage on tech. Yes. You're getting tech outside of the ways you normally get it. So it is very good. And, it, and in some cases, you didn't have any other way to get that last tech for the point. That's and a this, good. Yeah. This finishes it out, and you've you're done with the points. You can move on. And, yeah. And that feels really good. Yeah. There have been times that I've been saved by focused research because nobody picked tech. Right. It was like late game, and I needed one more tech, and nobody picked it. But then I had focused research, so I was like, "Yay, I'm good." Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's a pretty specific uh, case. But you know, it's 38 now. That's what it is. Yeah. That's Speaking what it of is. 38, number 37. Trade writer, all the agenda face stuff, but this time you get five trade goods. Uh huh. This one feels like the middle. Like if we said construction writer and warfare writer, people don't usually care about. Trade writer is is just this weird swing thing. Yeah. Sometimes and- a person getting five trade goods is like absolutely not. We cannot allow this. Uh-huh, that is unacceptable. Uh-huh. Like and Mentac. sometimes it's like <laughs> ah, right Mentac or if the objective is out. Right. If either of the two t- trade good objectives is mm-hmm, out, this mm-hmm. feels like a disaster. Um, but there's kind of equal number of situations where it's like ah, it doesn't sway it enough for me. Yeah. I wouldn't say anyone ever sees a trade writer come out and is like I don't care at all. 
That's never the case. Mm-hmm. But it's like if you put it on the right agenda, they might still care too much about the effect of the agenda to not to you know, you, you can you can make it work, but it is this is the flimsiest, I would say, of the writers. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell how people are gonna feel about it. Um I think that's kind of where why we put it like kind of dead center as far as where yeah. the writers are. Right. Um and yeah, I mean I, I I don't really have a whole lot to say about it. I think I think it has saved a game for me once or twice. Right. Um, but most of the time it's just kind of in a weird spot of like people don't want me to get it or like yeah. or it's actually not gonna make that much of a difference. But it's, Can I point can I point out a fun interaction? Yeah. Uh, if if economic equality comes out, you do resolve writers after you resolve the effect of agendas. So a trade writer on economic equality vastly changes the context of an economic equality, oh. uh, which is fun. I don't see that happen hardly ever, but you would lose your trade goods and either be at zero or be at five. And then with a trained writer, you could be at 10 or be the only person with five trade goods. So there's I kind see. of a funky little thing there, but that's... I don't think that does anything to the viability of the card. It's just right. a fun interaction. Right, right. Hey, Hunter, number 36. Uprising. As an action, exhaust one non-home planet controlled by another player, then gain trade goods equal to its resource value. One of my favorite stalls. What a great stall. Yeah, yeah. You do have to have a planet that's unexhausted. That's confirmed. Yes. You've got to be able to actually exhaust the planet. But then this is pretty much equal to... Uh, to the one we to, to the one we had earlier, except for the problem is it's non-home planet, so it, it's actually kind of surprising that Uprising is above the one where you could gain four or five trade goods if you're the right faction. But the reason this one is above it is because you're also costing them those resources by yes. exhausting it. Yes. So it's not just that you gained three trade goods; it's you cost them three resources, so you netted six over yeah. them, and that's a that's a big deal. Yeah, and and I think. Uh... The thing about Uprising is that you can use it kind of frivolously for the money. You can use it critically as a stall, and then you can use it critically to hurt another player. Um, let's say they, you know, they've used all their planets. They're going to claim eight resources, uh, and all they have left is just barely enough for eight. And then you use Uprising. Now you stop them from a point. I know that's a specific right. case, but it's a specific it case that happen. you can imagine coming up decently right. often. Right. Number let's talk 35. about yeah. Fighter prototype. At the start of the first round of space combat, apply plus two to the result of each of your fighters' combat rolls during the combat. Uh, this, this is one that got, I think, pretty high for us. For yeah, we, we we put it a lot lower, and then we reevaluated it, and we ended up bringing it up. and And it's it's sort of sitting in a position where we let the situational circumstances earn it a few extra points than we normally give to situational cards. Yeah. Yeah, uh, because, um, because situationally, this is gonna be this is gonna make a huge difference. This card, right? Exactly. Yeah, because if you're Sardak Nor or Nalu or even like Soul, who's gone fighter heavy, or anyone with fighter two, and you have a bunch, like you've got a decent swarm of fighters, this is an absolutely crushing yep. first round of combat. I mean, you will wipe. Plus two is is a big deal. Yeah. Um, the. But obviously the flip side of that is a lot of times you're a faction that doesn't have, you have two fighters and yeah, you play this because I guess it's going to maybe help a little bit and then it doesn't do hardly anything at all. It doesn't save. You go from a nine to a seven. Right, right. right. Whoop-de-doo. Um, so it is incredibly situational, but yeah, it's it's just so pow- powerful when it is good that it, it 
it needs to be above basically it just needs to be above uprising because mm-hmm. uprising is just this sort of like ooh like you lose 3 i gain 3 this can earn you way more than uprising can earn you in the mm-hmm. long run mm-hmm. which is interesting when when you compare it with our number 34 morale boost at the start of a combat round apply plus 1 to the result of each of your unit's combat rolls during this combat round so the timing is a little bit different than fighter prototype but not really which is just that fighter, fighter prototype can only be used during the very first round morale boost can be used during the first round or any other round uh, and it's only a plus one, but it's a plus one on every ship that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 good. It's all right. It's not the best. Um, I've seen morale the, boost not like not really make much of a difference. Right. I've um, seen it whiff a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's it. I think actually, fighter prototype has potential to be more devastating, but you have to actually kind of cater to fighter prototype. Whereas right. morale boost is like kind of always going to help out, but yeah. uh, it. <laughs> In a lot of cases, it's just going to help out a little bit. This is our first card that also there are four copies of, and it does get a little bit of a bump on the list just by virtue of you have more chances of getting one. Mm -hmm. You you have a better chance of having a morale boost than you ever have of having the only fighter prototype in the deck. So there's a bunch of cards that because there's four copies of them, they're just intrinsically a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, worth noting with morale boost, you cannot play two morale boosts at the same timing. You can play one morale boost in one round of combat, and then the next round of combat play another one, but you cannot have two active morale boosts at the same time. Now, that being said, if your first morale boost gets sabotaged, you can immediately play another ma- morale boost. So there's a little bit of techno te- technical mumbo-jumbo for you. But yeah, I, I just think morale boost, uh, I've seen it so much more often where someone is trying to take a combat that is not really in their favor, and they're like, I don't know, maybe this will help, and then it never does. It never turned the, the you know, the the sides. It never swayed the battle in a meaningful way. Because it's it not, can. yeah, it's not decisive enough though. Right. Like I think it's right. the problem. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be like, all right, I have this morale boost. Now what space battle am I specifically gonna do now that I right. have morale boost? It's like no, you right. don't plan around it to that extent. But. On the flip side of that, where morale boost does have a lot of use is that it can also be used during ground combat. Which is and that the best thing about it. changes things a lot. Turning your infantry from an 8 to a 7, or in Soul's case, from a 7 to a 6, or whatever, or like, keep, you know, keep lower. It's just, that's very good. Let's move on to action card number 33. Number 33. Hunter. Intercept. Um, after your opponent declares a retreat during a space combat, your opponent cannot retreat during this round of space combat. This is such a distinctly like unique card to me that I feel like doesn't, I don't see it often enough for as good of an ability I feel like it is. You yeah, know, it's a very. Specific- How often do you see an intercept in a game? Um, not very often. Pretty rarely. Not very often. I, I feel like it has a lot of uh, potential. Uh, but yeah, you're not. You're just not always in a situation where it makes sense. Because I mean, this is right. essentially the only situation where it's useful is a situation where you just need them to stay one more round, mm-hmm. um, well, which is not going to be like, a big space battle. It's like a one that you're guaranteed to win, and you want right. them to stay. Basically, honestly, I think the only situation where intercept is actually like an incredibly valuable card is when you need to destroy someone else's flagship or war sun, right? Yes. Because anything else, all you need to do is win a combat for almost any other objective or any other task you're trying mm-hmm. to do. If they retreat, 
you win. You win the combat. Great. You unveiled your flagship, or you won a combat against the point leader. Yeah. You're good. But if you specifically have to kill the flagship, Intercept becomes like this dynamite level, incredibly valuable card. Yeah. But yeah, outside of that, how often do you need the big fight to go through? I don't know. Now, if you if you came to crush Sar and you're just wanting to finish the Sar ball off and you do not want them to retreat out, then I get it. Or if you're just sick of Nalu doing their shenanigans or whatever. But but yeah, that's I think that's why this one kind of ends up being lower is because actually since a retreat is technically a loss you don't need to block a retreat that often i mean i think where we're at kind of in the list right now is there's a lot of cards like this right where um it's like not really useful all the time but when it is useful it's going to be like super clutch so it's a very difficult card to classify and um i could totally see people saying that it deserves to be higher and lower than it is, basically. Right. I'm yeah, just yeah. Going it's, it's just that. gonna. But this it is, belongs kind of everywhere. Right. But where it is for now and forever is obviously number thirty-three. Number thirty-three. Um, right. I do want to. I want to throw out one thing too about it, just as an ability, uh, compared to some other action cards that are sort of like, oh, a faction just does that ability. I wish this was a faction ability, like the opposite ooh, of Nalu. Yeah. A faction that's just like, you don't get to go anywhere. You don't get to retreat. You know, spend spend a trade good, spend two trade goods, whatever the cost is. Spend a strategy counter. But like, I get to force you not to get to retreat. Ooh, I think that would be a dope I faction. I really, really like that. That's a great idea. <laughs> Matt, we got, you gotta, yeah. you gotta, yeah. Maybe next, maybe next week, right? I have another amazing faction idea, and it's based off of our next action card. I can't wait to tell you about this crazy faction ability. Number uh, because- 32 maneuvering jets before you assign hits produced by another player's space cannon roll you cancel one hit so like i don't know it's like a faction that like you don't can cancel PDS a hit of pds is, is pds is bad no okay but let's talk about maneuvering jets for a second all right um it's it's good right yeah it's good it's, it's good it's fine i think it's the definition of like it's fine it's uh it's it's not uh it's not gonna change your life, uh, but it is uh it's a pretty right. solid card. It's useful, I feel like, uh as compared to intercept that we were just talking about, maneuvering jets, obviously yeah. you can use all the time. Um right. uh, it is I do sometimes wish it just didn't exist and that shields holding was for just hits. Was for and, both. Yeah, right. was just was just all the all the way. Um, I do yeah, sometimes. It's one of those feel ones that, that confuses players. People mm-hmm. think they can use maneuvering jets in combat and think they can use shield holding in mm-hmm. uh, space mm-hmm. cannon. But, but, and, and that's sort of the other problem too with it is, you know, in in most instances of space cannon, it's two or three shots, and you canceled one of them. Right. It's very rare that the PDS was was the decisive factor in the fight. Now, obviously, there are situations where it is, and it's a big deal to have that maneuvering jets, and so that's why it gets ranked a little bit high. You know, it's it's less situational than intercept. It's right. still a very good card, and it's really good in certain situations, and it's decent in other situations. Yeah, I've definitely um, pulled off uh, maneuvers solely because of man- <laughs> of maneuvering jets. Uh, I was right. Uh, yeah, I have definitely claimed some uh some tough uh like control objectives just because a cruiser was able to get somewhere and maneuvering jets a uh pds shot basically right 
things. Right. And and I can't decide if this is one where the fact that there are four of them makes it a better card or not. You know what I mean? With it all does. Of the it four does. ofs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, there's there's enough of them in play that it's like, yeah. The I mean, you can't um You can't use two of them in the same You can't use two of them back instance, to back. Yeah. In the same instance and since you're only rolling space cannon once. Right. You know, the difference is shield holding. You can have two shields holding and use it in two separate rounds of combat. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to keep, you know, you keep chucking through them. But maneuvering jets, if you have two maneuvering jets, it's like, I guess I have just like huge amounts of like, it's just too, it's more than you need. You never need two maneuvering jets. Right, right. You could use two shields holding. Yeah. Um, You could have four shields holding and I'd be down with that. I would not be happy if I had four maneuvering jets. Right, there are situations right. where I could imagine being happy having having two if there are two you know maybe if my neighbor's extra right if my neighbor's extra and they're like constantly my, a pain in my well see soul. actually that's the thing though what is kind of sad about maneuvering jets is i don't feel like it is useful against extra because extra normally has they have too many shots there's too no, many yeah, shots for canceling one hit to probably make a difference although i don't know i mean right. yeah throw me that situation and we'll see but uh Right, right. I don't know. I I I think it's a good card, and I think it belongs exactly where it is, just kind of you know right there in right. the in the who knows in the middle thirty two forever and always. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's important to counter talking about maneuvering jets with our number thirty one card. Yeah, emergency repairs at the start of an in, uh, at the start or end of a combat round, repair all of your units that have sustained damage in the active system. Uh, this one can be devastating. Like this, right. this card can be devastating, can, like, and whew, and in a sense too, it is, it is, it, it is a maneuvering jets, right? Like if if you're the faction oh, that's sure. coming into a fight with a couple dreadnoughts, okay, you take one PDS shot on your dreadnought twos, you tap it, then you emergency repairs, and you're fine. Uh-huh. It's the same. Now you wouldn't necessarily want to use emergency repairs to heal one dreadnought. You could, and mm-hmm. it would be a fine use of that card, but the, the the reason emergency repairs is a little bit better is because you can do way more than just heal one dreadnought. You you can heal all of your dreadnoughts, and if it's the right attack, this can really catch someone off guard. And the fact that it is at the start of a combat round or end of a combat round, you can do it in either timing window, which means it has a lot of flexibility in terms of what other abilities can get used against it. The main yep. thing I'm thinking about is like if you're up against a yin, yin actually has trouble dealing with fighting against emergency repairs because they can use it you know you can you can sacrifice your destroyer after a combat round but then at the start of the next combat round they can just repair it right back up or whatever you know right. all those sorts right. of things it's it's a little bit tricky to deal with emergency repairs when you can do it at multiple timing windows this is one of the few cards that has that part of it that, yeah. that it can be done basically at any moment like it's it's got multiple timing windows and that's a huge factor in why this card does a lot better than if it was just at the end of a combat round yeah uh it also obviously stacks with barony in a way that is literally like unholy i would say right completely disgusting the amount of hits that you could potentially (laughs) soak if you had an emergency repairs um right yeah this is this card i feel like is a little bit similar to intercept uh, except even more solidly like this and that um, it's the potential of the card as far as uh, its usefulness could go from like eh to oh my god this was the best card that decided basically. the game yeah. that decided yeah. the fight that decided the game etc like that yeah. yeah it can be a clutch clutch card it's also not in people's heads I feel like to automatically sabotage it which I don't know if that right. is just if, if how much but, that makes yeah sense, we're kind but... of in that su- we are in the sweet spot of like I'm not gonna sabotage that 
right. unless it's this like yeah emergency repairs it's like yeah i just repaired four dreadnoughts and if i'm barony with nes like that's a huge deal so mm-hmm. you probably should consider sabotaging it but your gut reaction is never i need to sabotage that emergency repair right that's right. just not the thought anybody has first and I always wonder if that even had like if that even makes sense. Uh, like as right. far as do people even think that way? Like do people get thrown mm-hmm. off by stuff like that? I don't know. I think there's a lot of potential for someone to be like, oh wait, I guess I should have sabotaged that, but it doesn't really occur to them because honestly, yeah. it's a card that I forget actually that this one is in the deck I do too. a lot of times. Yeah, um, just like I forget the intercept is in the deck a lot of the times. Right, right. Both both cards are just so situational but strong when they're important that yeah you just you don't think about them until it's like it's you know it'll have been like five games since the last time that card came out and then it comes out and you're like whoa that just completely changed the dynamic of everything that's going on right now yeah why doesn't that happen every game it's like well because it's pretty situational it's Mm -hmm. it's it's not a very common thing for its moment to shine Mm -hmm. well let's Let's talk talk about number yeah yeah number 30 Bunker. At the start of an invasion, during this invasion, apply minus four to the result of each bombardment roll against planets you control. Um, This is, think about how often you are Mm. trying to take a planet and you don't quite have enough infantry and the bombardment is really what's going to decide the fight. This is... This this that Clutch. situation is why this is such a good card because I feel like that yeah. happens so often. Um, right. Bombardment. I is think the always reason the wiggle room of like invasion combat basically, and this shuts it down. I think the reason this card is placed perfectly at number thirty is because it's not like um, your disables or uh, other cards like that. Like the fact that it doesn't stop a bombardment, but instead. Sure. Applies minus four to the bombardment mm-hmm. is a very interesting design choice. And so in, in essence, what it does is it takes dreadnoughts, standard dreadnoughts from a five to a nine, but that means there's still a one in five chance to hit. Right. It's not like you've completely eliminated mm-hmm. any, you know, if, if this card were completely block a bombardment, that's a very different card yeah. than what this is. Um, and then especially too, if you use it against, you know, a, a Muat with one war sun, you turn their threes into sevens. I mean that that hurts, but like it's still a seven. That's pretty, it's decent enough odds to to get some bombardment done. Um, yeah. So it, I I think it gets knocked down a few pegs purely because it's not a it's not a full stop on any sort of bombardment. Right. But it's not as bad as plague where the odds are like really bad. Although I guess right if, if they were bringing a war sun and you played bunker, those are still pretty decent odds that they're gonna get yeah. something. Um, right. So yeah, uh, I, it's interesting that you bring up disable too because like yeah, why isn't it just like bombardment is canceled? Like they right. cannot bombard. Right. There's plenty of other cards where that is that is a thing. It's so much more common. Well, honestly, it's weird because just in general in TI four pluses and minuses aren't that common. You know, you do have morale boost and fighter pro- like you have a, a few instances of it, but compared to TI three, every single thing in TI three was like a plus or minus, and you had to have the app on your phone mm-hmm. just to keep track of what everyone's units were going to be hitting at. And this feels like kind of a remnant of that time of like, okay, this one's the minus four. It's a big deal when most other things got retranslated into TI four as just a yes or no <laughs> instead of a variation of how much power the thing now does um Mm -hmm. so yeah it it feels like an old action card yeah like kind of a leftover thing yeah Mm -hmm. yeah uh i feel like it has never 
Like it, it always feels like there's a lot of potential in it. Uh, but I don't know that it's ever saved my butt. Um, but I do, what I do like about it is that it is for each bombardment roll against planets you control, um, mm-hmm. so that it can, you know, if it, you're talking two planet system or Hakan's home system, that's a lot of bombardment that it's hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's clutch, yeah, I mean, it, it, it will, if it's, if it was going to be a close call, I think bunker would totally make the difference, but it's like you're saying, there's still that room left for it to not even save the day basically. Right. Um, yeah. the reason I feel like I have to make a case for why it still got ahead of emergency repairs. Cause we just talked up emergency repairs a lot. We were very, right, we right. think it's really dope. Well, because bunker, when someone takes a planet from someone else, that's a much bigger deal than when you win the space combat. Winning a space combat is one thing, but acquiring a planet is a huge deal. And if you can completely stop someone from taking a planet from you because you stopped their bombardment, very often that costs them a point or it kept you a point. It, there's way more victory points on the line when Bunker gets played compared to when Emergency Repairs gets played. Yeah, for sure. And that's sort of what pushes it, a, a li- you know, you know, one step above into the perfect placement of number 30. Right, yeah. Emergen- emergency Repairs is just going to help you with the space combat, and we, you know, it's not always going to be a super important space combat, but people pretty much only invade planets for points um, or impo- like just important reasons to deny. So Bunker is basically almost all always going to be used in like a pretty clutch situation um so let's talk about number 29 unstable planet action choose one hazardous planet period space exhaust that planet and destroy <laughs> up to three infantry on it i did that because it's a very confusing yeah why, why did why <laughs> did you specifically say period space the Why ruling currently, and we sort of covered this last week, but the ruling currently on Unstable Planet is the action, the activity of Unstable Planet is to choose a hazardous planet. Uh, then the exhaust that planet and destroy three infantry on it, those two things are now the effects that because of the and in that sentence means you don't have to do all of them. You can do just one of them. Right. So choosing a hazardous planet is the only requirement. There's a difference between Unstable Planet and and uprising Mm -hmm. where uprising the planet uh has to be unexhausted because the action is exhausting the planet here if the planet is already exhausted that is okay you can still destroy infantry on it yeah now technically speaking you can even just there could be it can be exhausted and there can be no infantry on it and you still technically are allowed to select it this can be a stall as far as my understanding i'm sure right now we're getting all of the errata to tell me that i'm i'm wrong in this instance and i'm i just i hate these sort of interactions that are so minute and based on like where a specific period is placed mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll totally take it if i'm wrong that the planet doesn't like if if the planet can have no infantry on it and be exhausted and you can still play on stable planet that's my understanding of it right now and if i'm wrong i concede thank you for your input um no 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 i say if he's wrong then we're actually (laughs) right uh in general and that unstable planet will now and forever be 29 and that it will always be understood to be exactly what we just said it was um i think the reason it's at number 29 um is that it has such juicy potential in the late game that we have seen i feel like so many times at this point right um It does feel really limited. It's only a hazardous planet, right? But but what are hazardous planets? Right. <laughs> Almost entirely high influence planets, and two of them are tech skips. Yeah. 
Uh, so the hazardous planets are just so uh, so dang juicy, all of them. Uh, yeah. And because of that, they're almost always going to be um, a juicy target for any number of reasons. Some of them being victory point, um, like right. counter. Like that, that's what's so weird about unsta- unstable planet is it feels like ah oh, whatever, but then it's like wow this you you could literally play this card and cost somebody a game basically. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Which yeah we've we've seen that so so many times. Right, and the flip side of it is, I mean, you're killing three infantry with just, like, one action card. Compare that to, to the bunker where, okay, we're we're protecting some infantry, but maybe still a couple get killed. This 100% kills three infantry. Yep. Even compare it to Plague. Plague, as long as they have six ground forces, you have, a, you have that good of odds to get three of them killed with Plague. Right. Right? But they have to have six already there. If they had three infantry on a planet and you played pe- Plague, more often you're going to kill one, maybe two of those infantry. So this card, just by existing, is already significantly better than Plague. Right. Just because of what it is. And so killing three infantry is also a huge deal because that usually softens it up enough to where you're going to have a very decisive victory. It's very rare for a planet to have four-plus ground forces. That's really like a soul arborek thing you see sure. maybe yin or just mecha, a bunch mechatol of in general right? mechatol yeah um, but beyond that any other planet is usually lightly defended two or three ground forces and this turns it into nothing and then your next turn you get to just sweep in and and do away with it or whatever yeah so totally. multiple uses um multiple ways that it can impact the game um and confusing enough to make people not see it coming mm-hmm mm-hmm all right, what's what's next? What's next, buddy boy? Number 28, Leadership, Leadership writer. writer. After an agenda is revealed, you cannot vote on this agenda. Predict allowed an outcome of this agenda. If your prediction is correct, gain three command tokens. So it, so it gives you leadership. Um, yep. Command tokens are great. Uh, it's always good to get... That's one of the best resources in the game is command tokens. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is actually wor- literally worth uh, a stage one victory point. Um, right. It's also kind of I in think that this is going to be contentious. Of- oh, really? Oh, what? why do I you do. say that? Keep going. Keep keep talking. Well, well I, I want you to finish all your points. It's it's in the Goldilocks zone of uh, a rider that is not super going to swing. It's basically not Imperial rider and it's not po- political rider, which right. means that it. Uh, it can get thrown down and you you might get it you know what i mean it's not yeah. it's not a it's not a right. oh my god we have to um right. swing everything the other way it's on this. you don't nobody loves that someone's going to score a leadership rider but in all, it's very rare that people are like there's no way we can let them get that leadership rider like mm-hmm. you're saying yeah it's it's it is kind of the the most perfect example of that we kind of said that about trade writer trade writer is the is the main one people just kind of shrug off and are like oh that sucks but whatever this one is more like oh crap well oh well good for them they're gonna that's great for you know i feel like so often i see leadership writer played when it is the sure thing the imperial writer got played against boom perfect time to do leadership writer for right because people will let you definitely have those three command counters despite it being like a pretty great advantage for them yeah, um, but this one is buttoned up right next to something, and this is where I think it's going to be contentious. So I want to dump, jump right into talking about number twenty-seven, technology writer. After an agenda is revealed, do all the prediction stuff and gain uh, research one technology. So why are we putting technology writer above leadership writer? There are people, Hunter, out there 
that have math done about how much a single command counter is worth and how much one tech is worth. And I'm pretty sure their math works out to three command counters is greater than one technology. Well, the thing about technology, so leadership writer, you always get the same thing. You get three command tokens. Technology writer, uh, you get a tech and not all techs are, are created equal. So that means yeah, that there's definitely. a lot more variance as to what this could mean for the game, right? Basically, absolutely. There are times a technology. Yeah. Sometimes writer, it's not a big deal, it, right? Right. It depends yeah. on who's playing it, and if it's yeah. if if they're going to get something um, out of step. Like if I'm thinking more like um, factions that have a lot of really juicy tech, but aren't necessarily always going to be doing well in tech. Like if I were to yeah. see like a Sardak get like. I don't know, uh, like uh, Dreadnought 2 or something like that off of a technology yeah. writer, I would be a little bit upset uh, because right. it's like Sardak, their thing is that they're supposed to be slow in tech. Um, we've actually yeah. seen a lot of Sardak lately in tournament games that are really doing Pulling well tech in design. tech. Um, yeah. But yeah, it just depends on what they're going to get. So it's kind of, I think it's kind of the most difficult one to classify because mm-hmm. depending on the faction, depending on the situation in the game, uh, technology writer could be uh, it could be a complete no go, or it could be like yeah. whatever. Who cares? Right. Um, what's also interesting to me, um, kind of going back to leadership writer, is um, comparing it to the action card summit, which we 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 haven't gotten to yet. But I want to start making the I want to start building the case, and we'll we'll bring it back up when we get to summit. But leadership rider equals three command counters, and we haven't seen Summit yet, and Summit we know equals two command counters. Right, but Summit so just, just plant, equals I want, two command counters. Right. right. So I want to plant that seed right now, and we will bring up that point again. But just don't forget, we're not done talking about leadership rider. But instead, let's jump into number 26, Lost Star Chart. After you activate a system during this tactical action, systems that contain alpha and beta wormholes are adjacent to each other. Um, it's, a, it's a ghosts for a turn. Right. Action card. Uh, it's it's a um, it's a pretty cool card because of its uh, potential to shake things up in the last round. I feel like that's solely right. why it's up as high as it is. Um, yeah, we're getting into those cards. I feel like this is the first technology writer hints at this, and mm-hmm. this is the first card where we're getting into. Oh, that's a game maker. That's like right. that's you did the play. You needed that action card specifically, and you needed it to not get sabotaged. But because it was a success, you win the game. Right. We're, we're in this territory now with pretty much the rest of these action cards. Right. But Lost Star Chart is, again, sort of like uh, what we were talking about with emergency repairs. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not a card that people think, like, people don't knee-jerk sabotage it. Um, right. But it can totally be for the game. So if the, if, the, right. if the table is not paying attention and you're playing Lost Star Chart um, for the win, I think there's totally a lot of times that people have gotten away with it. Um, which is yeah. kind of a weird factor to be going into this, but like we said, this is completely definitive, and Lost Our Chart is now and forever yeah. number twenty six, and there is no debate that it is. Uh, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna write number twenty six on every Lost Our Chart I see that from now on. Silver Sharpie. Yep. Uh, what I think is interesting the, the the difficulty with Lost Star Chart is a few different factors, right? Uh, in some cases, Lost Star Chart is more powerful than In the Silence of Space and Flank Speed combined. If the wormholes are in the right positions and what you need to get, if you, if all you need to do is go from the alpha to the beta and get to where you need to be and you never would have been in that system in any other circumstance, Lost Star Chart is amazing. But more often than not, the wormholes are a little bit gummed up. People like to hang out in them, especially, obviously, Lodor and Quan. 
um, with the planets on them. So it's pretty hard usually to be able to go through those uh, systems. So if you don't have light wave, Lost Star Trek has already lost some utility because mm -hmm. connecting the wormholes doesn't matter if the wormholes are gummed up. Right. Uh, and even more so, you have to be the player that received Star Chart and you have to be the player that benefits from going through the wormholes like that. So yeah. it's, it's one of those ones where the circumstances of it being amazing are much rarer, actually. It, right. it can be a, like we said, it can be a game crusher. But more often than not, if people have kind of messed up the wormholes enough, it ends up being a good play, but it doesn't change the whole status of the game. Yeah, it's it's wild. You don't you right. It's, it's hard to tell exactly what you're gonna see uh, out of out of this card. And yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it's just completely useless, and sometimes if you didn't have it, then you could not have won. Basically, yeah. Yep. It also, I mean, I know we talked about this in the part one up, but I just want to bring it back up. Uh, it does allow you to bypass uh, any the yes. uh the agenda that closes the wormholes yeah. uh which is yeah. really cool yes definitely very cool let's get into our top 25 and i think this card is a perfect one to be a part of the top 25 this is such a this is such a game changer like we've hit a new plateau number 25 direct hit after another player's ships use sustained damage to cancel a hit produced by your units destroy that ship there's four of these in the deck and uh they should be a big deal right they're typically right. Well, a kind of a big deal well, you think about them all the time, don't you? I mean, like basically right. everybody's always thinking about direct hit. Um, it, I think uh, in TI3, uh, direct hit would have been much higher on this list. Although TI3, oh, there were so many action cards, so I don't know. Right, um, right. But yeah, I mean, it's the major action card that got nerfed a little bit by Dreadnought 2, obviously. Yep. Um, right. But the times that it's still useful are really important times. Flagships, right? right? Yep. Flagships are worth a point. Flagships are just a point you're putting on the board, I'm realizing right. lately. I don't even know why people build them. Now that I think about it, they, they <laughs> suck and you should never build you them. You just gave someone else a point by right. placing that unit. Yeah. Um, and this this card is, I want one free victory point, please. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, there's a there's a lot of combats that will, uh, you know, pe people gamble. I've gambled and lost with the direct, direct hit. I've been like, okay, yeah. I can win this combat if I sustain damage. But they might have a direct yep. hit, and then I take the chance, and they do have a direct hit. Uh, so I yeah. would say that this card is the main gamble mechanic in the entire game. I can't think of anything in the game that feels more like, I guess I'm gonna try this. I hope I hope this is okay. Let's see. And yeah, sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. It's mm -hmm. it. I can't think of anything that that makes you kind of like tense up more than risking getting a direct hit jumped on you yeah yeah totally um yeah i what i also like about it is that you can use it uh like functionally functionally uh with pds as well so like that's yeah that's always really cool because pds is also right. something that people really would rather sustain uh in most cases exactly you would much yeah. rather sustain a pds hit than actually right take because it you need something. every hit for the right you need that first round of combat so you want to keep everything you can Mm -hmm. um and and yeah direct hitting during space cannon is incredibly devastating also people uh, forget that you can do that a lot because the logic yep. for defensive action cards is the opposite where there's shields holding yeah. for most stuff and then maneuvering jets just for pds but direct hit is yeah uh has more flexibility which is good also last week we didn't touch on this and i, I know this kind of got um brought up in some errata type discussion but direct hit is the really annoying uh outlier 
in the situations where you can't play two cards of the same name at the same timing, right? I can't block four hits by playing two shields holding in the exact same window. Right. But when I assign a hit to my Dreadnought, you can play a direct hit. And then in that same round of combat where you got three hits, I can also assign a hit to my flagship. And that is a different hit being assigned, which means you can assign a direct hit to that as well. Sure. Even though it's sort of almost within the same timing window, technically you are assigning hits at different intervals, which means you could you could play four direct hits in a row mm-hmm. if the player had four ships that they sustained damage all in one. Um, so really weird caveat with direct hit compared to the general consensus on how that rule works. Um, and that makes it even better. I mean, it's it's one of those cards that having two in your hand is not bad it's 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 typically okay to do it and this is certainly one of the ones people count um, not as much as things like sabotage but there's four of them and that increases the quality of it a lot because there's really good chances that people have it that's why people are so afraid of it it's not just because it's a huge devastating effect but it's like there's just such good odds that someone's by round five it's like oh somebody definitely has a direct hit yeah we just have to figure out who it is for sure for sure are we ready to talk about number 24 i'm so ready give it to me disable At the start of an invasion in a system that contains one or more of your opponent's PDS units, your opponent's PDS units lose planetary shield and space cannon during this invasion. You, it's, it is the flip side of bunker. You actually get, you get something for sure. Like you just get it. Right. You get to block. You disabled those PDS. This could have easily been worded minus whatever to space cannon and then block planetary shield. But the fact that they just stopped it all off is a huge deal um especially i mean i think this one in terms of like someone who has done a really good defense on mechatol disable don't care mm-hmm. uh home system disable don't care right just like there's so many there's so many instances where you see disable come out and again that situation where we talked about bunker is good because you're preventing them from getting a point or keeping your own point this is the inverse of that you are you are saying you thought you had this defended but i'm getting this point and you mm-hmm. are screwed now um, mm-hmm. when used properly. Obviously, you can use a disable and then still only be invading with like a really low chance to win or whatever. But when you use it right, the PDS was the only thing holding you back. You yeah. just opened up your opportunity to bombard and you opened up your opportunity to not lose ground forces on the invasion. So um, I-, I think this is a huge deal card. Honestly, I think it's even kind of generally undervalued. I-, I think it's one of those ones that, yeah, you don't see the clutch play of it every single game. It's not like disable comes out every game in a monumental way like other action cards do um but i think it's often enough that like it's a big deal card yeah i mean it it has a card that's very similar to it uh that just destroys the pds and i think both both disable and uh crippled defenses are two cards that i think about a lot like i think about them coming up i will think about like oh but what if they have disable basically yeah if i'm if i'm playing a mechatol rex uh faction and i'm on mechatol rex disable is one of those really scary things that i think about yes definitely Um, it's a card that you're gonna it's one of those cards that you can kind of anticipate seeing uh at some point and if if there's a target for it it will probably get used basically yeah and there's almost always number 23 yeah sorry number 23 Shields holding before you assign hits to your ships during a space combat cancel up to two hits. Uh, two hits is what makes this crazy good, honestly, mm-hmm. because most ships 
have a somewhat low combat value. You know, your even your sevens, seven is an okay combat value, and then you've got mostly fighters and stuff that are hitting on nines. Right. So in an average combat round, you're only getting like two hits. So this is saving you an entire combat round is what mm-hmm. shield holding typically does. I mean, I, I don't feel like I even, if, if someone scored five or six hits in their first round of combat, you don't even play shield holding because it's like, well, that's it. I mean, why would I, I'm not going to save anything. But in all the combats where it's like, okay, we've got three fighters and a carrier versus a destroyer and four fighters or whatever it is, like one combat round can make all the difference in the world and two hits is enough to save your butt. Yeah. I think I think we've all been there where shield holding has uh, say has saved our butt in a in a space combat because yeah two hits is just enough I think wiggle room to to swing a fight uh, yeah. in in wildly in the other direction basically yeah um, yeah it's and it's this crazy is good. the big factor of it being there's four of them so it's constantly it constantly comes up and then if the, if you're playing you know in a game with a sorrel or just a lots of action draw these start coming back up again i mean it's there, it just feels like you're never getting rid of all the shields holding it's it i it's not one of those ones that i count Ooh, did we get okay that was our third shield holding let's worry about it but it is one that i feel like should be counted a little bit more because it's it again it can kind of decide a space combat um if this could be used in ground combat if there wasn't a, a card equivalent Ooh, yeah that would be like one of the best combat abilities i think in the game like yeah, combat action I totally cards agree. it would be completely insane um but alas we just have our wonderful little shields holding it's interesting like with shields holding it's another case of like the action cards all have slightly different logics like there's you know like we were just talking about direct hit how you can play like multiple you can play a direct hit yep. for every hit assigned well you, you don't do shields holding that way there's so many little Right, like you could you couldn't play two shields holding to cancel up to four hits. You cancel up to right. two hits. That's it. Um, and, right. and for shields holding, we're treating all of the assigning hits as like a window altogether. Whereas direct hit is one at a time. I just wanted to call out that these yeah. cards all have wildly different logics, and that's why yep. they are so confusing for for. Yes. No, not even new players, players in general. It's all the time. For anyone. I mean, because every single action card has its own. We have found, we have clearly pointed out like numerous times now of where like a specific rule in the rule book really only applies to like one single action card. So mm-hmm. there are rules in the rule book that, yeah, maybe more action cards come out that are in the same timing window. But currently with our current deck of action cards, there's so many things that only apply to one moment that ever happens. And right. We have to account for that, and and yeah, the the disparity between shield holding, maneuvering jets, direct hit, all of that is like such a weird little ecosystem that's that is a not hard to mess up. All right, well, let's talk about the next card. What's the next one? Number twenty-two, summit. At the start of the strategy phase, gain two command tokens. This is another one of those annoying ones for a moderator. Until it gets played every round, I have to be like, it is now officially the start of the strategy phase. Does Mm -hmm. anybody care about that? Um, But it's a really good card, and it is one of the ones that I think in your first four or five games, you forget to play it all the time, right? But then once you see how big of an impact it has on your game, you never forget it ever again. Like, it's it's a big... As soon as you get it, like, oh, yes, I can't wait for the start of a strategy phase. This is going to be so great for me. Um... Because two command counters is nothing to be balked at. It's right. a big deal. It can make a huge difference as far as uh, your, especially the timing of it, that it happens at the start of the strategy phase. If I have two, if I'm like really command counter starved and I don't want to take leadership and I draw a summit, it like changes my life. Like I'm just like, right. oh my God, yep. thank you. 
Um, yes. It's also in the Goldilocks zone of like a card that's pretty good always gets you something. Yeah. That's good. Yep. Always gets you yep. the, these command tokens. Um, and I think if someone sabotaged it, I would just be happy that I they yeah. wasted their sabotage, basically. Right. So right. I feel that like you always a, get something. That is worth something. a burn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we talked about Leadership Rider earlier. So the difference here is Leadership Rider, yeah, it's one more command token, but it is kind of significantly less chance of you getting that. This is a 100% right. chance of getting two command tokens versus whatever percent chance of getting a Leadership Rider. Mm-hmm. Um, and we that, that, has, that factor has to be taken into consideration. Um, and the timing of it is great, honestly. The fact that it's the start of strategy phase is helpful uh, because... Here's the scenario I kind of want to paint. At the end of the status phase, you are redistributing your command tokens. Well, in between the strategy or the status phase and the strategy phase, usually there's an agenda phase, and a lot of things can change values in the agenda phase. If Summit was at the end of the status phase, gain two additional, like when you gain and redistribute, gain two more, it would not be quite as good of a card. Yeah. The fact that it lets you reinterpret what happened during the agenda phase and go, okay, two more command tokens, and now I need to to put this here instead. I need to reconsider. Right. You know, sometimes speaker order changes during the agenda phase. So Summit is a huge deal because it gives you an opportunity to counterbalance problems that come up in the agenda phase. And you don't have to... It's just... I wish there were more cards that were timing window of, of strategy phase because that's that's a useful timing window. Before mm-hmm. anything's been determined for the next round, but after dealing with all the craziness of the last agenda phase. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally feel like I've seen uh, somebody get a, reader, a leadership writer... Uh, in the agenda phase and then follow it up with summit at the beginning of the strategy phase for a whopping <laughs> five command tokens, which is crazy. That's just like, Oh cool. I'm good for the next two rounds. Uh, right, right. <laughs> pretty great. Uh, are we ready to talk about number 21? We All sure right. Number are. 21 frontline deployment action, place three infantry from your reinforcements on one planet you control. Oh, I love that openness. You get it's something for so sure. Juicy. You get it wherever yep. you want it. Yep. Love it. It's better than Soul's ability. You don't have to spend a command mm-hmm. counter for mm-hmm. it. It's it is a stall. It's everything. It's everything your heart wants from an action card in TI4, right? I mean, this is literally like a perfect action phase card. Yep. There's a few more that are even more perfect. We're going to get to those, but this is where we're getting into the like these are impossible to misuse i feel yeah, like they're always even if good. it's not the best planet you could have put it on wherever you put three ground forces it's good that's a good idea to put them there mm-hmm. i mean you could have put them somewhere else but that you just put three ground forces on a planet right kudos like it's it is always 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 good yeah it's it's uh it's hunter's law that's that's kind of uh that's kind of making yeah. a, it's third it's, it's haven't it's talked about that comeback. in a while yeah, but now it, but now we've also already done the haven't talked about that in a while bit, and now we're doing it again, so it's coming back back. Wow. Um, Double I back. love it, though. I always love uh, front. I actually feel like I have a soft spot for this card and that I would have put it in like my personal top 10, not for a good reason, really? but just because. I mean, no, I mean, obviously <laughs> it's number 21 now and forever, but. Yes, it's um, a great reason, yes. But I do like it a lot. Uh, especially if I'm playing a faction that doesn't do good at infantry. Like if, if I'm playing like Barry right. mm-hmm. and then yeah. I get it's to throw really a frontline deployment down somewhere. Really, really love it. Really, really love but it. But even for the ones that do, I mean the, a frontline deployment in round like one or two for Arborek 
is oh, like yeah, the wildest crazy. thing ever every time it's just like oh we're screwed we're doomed we're all in trouble now because one of their worst like starting problems just got solved with a single action card <laughs> yeah it's a card that like what it's only worth three infantry but i i could see people sabotaging it if the if mm-hmm. like the uh situation the right was spot. right but it's just three yeah. infantry but it's just the fact that you can put them wherever you want like it's always like we've said the problem with infantry isn't like it's obviously easy to build them and they're cheap. The problem is that yep. you have to take care of them. They're like little babies, and they have yep. you have to get them to where they need to go, and they have to be in the right spot. And frontline deployment is just so great at that. Like, no, just plop them down. Right. Yeah. It's it's the most useful thing in the world to just be able to put them wherever. Mm-hmm. Uh, number twenty, crippled defenses. Action: choose one planet, destroy each PDS on that planet. Yeah. That's a that's yeah. a doozy. Um, now, obviously, I, I like you're it. only supposed to have up to two PDS per planet. So usually, this is killing a max of two PDS. Almost always, it's just one. Right? Mm-hmm. It's very rare for people to put two PDS on a single planet. Sure. Um, but even still, this is this is essentially a more permanent version of disable. Yep. Um, and it's a stall. Right, and it's a stall, which is great. Uh, it's it's one of the many action cards that uh, is difficult for Winu to deal with. Um, it will destroy yeah. Winu's free uh, PDS on Mechatol. Um, right. As if Winu needed uh, more things against them. Uh, I feel like what's worth noting is that uh, I really like Crippled Defenses. Uh, it's really useful uh, against most factions that would build PDS, except for I will say that it's, n- again, it's not going to make that much of a difference against an extra because if an extra is right. playing their cards right, they have their flagship out, or they at least yeah. probably have more P- than one PDS or one planet even with PDS on it. So right, right. Um, um, what's what's really fun about this one though is this is in in many cases this is the VP blocker too. Yes. The second one person puts their fourth PDS on the ground, you just go, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill that now because yeah. Maybe they don't have it, but they probably do have the four PDS secret objective. So yeah. it's this action card is just designed to keep someone from getting a secret that is annoying to get. Like getting those construction oriented, getting three space docks or getting four PDS on the table is super annoying in TI4 because you have to either play a strategy card that you don't really love playing or you got to hope someone else takes it just so that you can do the secondary and probably they'll play it in a timing window you don't like. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So everything to do with space docks and PDS is annoying. And if someone kills your fourth PDS after you just spent four rounds trying to get that fourth PDS out and now you need to spend another round just to do it. What else are you going to do? I mean, it's just right. such a nuisance. Right. This is one of those ones where you might... You, there's a lot of situations where I can see it getting sabotaged, even though all it's doing is killing one PDS. It's like, given mm-hmm. any other circumstances, why would you ever sabotage that card? But it's like, well, because it's so... Oh, I have to backtrack so much if I lose this fourth mm-hmm. PDS. Mm-hmm. It's a um, nightmare scenario. I would say that th- this card and Reactor Meltdown are the main reasons that my personal policy, and I think strategically it makes sense, is if you draw a... Uh, secret objective that is the construction oriented ones the four pds mm-hmm. or the three space dogs uh you have to go for it right away and if it's late game yep. sometimes i would just be like uh i don't know that you're gonna get that because if, we, right. if we're late game and a lot of people have neural like it's almost like a hundred percent chance sometimes that right. one of those two cards is going to be out there and and no yep. one has a reason not to play it now sometimes you know your players aren't paying that much attention and whatever but if they right. are, I mean, my personal policy would be like, oh, yeah, your third space stock. Okay, melt down that. Uh, your fourth PDS, cripple that, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Number 19, 
Courageous to the end after one of your ships is destroyed during a space combat, roll two dice for each result equal to or greater than the ship's combat value. Your opponent must choose and destroy one of his ships. Yeah, very good. Very good. Very good. Man. Uh, works with Necro. Remember, Matt? Works it with works Necro. with Necro. Yeah. I'm just sure reminding you. It. Yeah. Thank you. you know. Thank you for Necro, gets Necro tech can off do that. the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just crazy that it's destroy. It's crazy that it's doubling the impact of... I mean, like, you only use this on Dreadnoughts, pretty much. This is, this is like, such a great card when you're a Dreadnought faction of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, you roll two dice with 60% chance to destroy two ships. Now, obviously, there's certain fights where it's like, oh, well, okay, they lost two fighters, it didn't do anything. But when you play Courageous to the end, you're a smart player, and you do it when you know it's going to cost them dearly. Right. Um, and that's that's the big when when they haven't sustained their flagship the whole combat and now all they have left is a fully you know unsustained flagship and one fighter and you do crippled defenses and now they're going to lose both they just had to account for three hits yeah despite otherwise thinking they were going to unveil their flagship you just you just blocked a point and maybe scored one of your own you destroyed their flagship in the in the meantime like it's it's a big card and i feel like every time it gets played it's a huge deal now i will say this obviously sometimes it's not sometimes you miss yeah exactly i was about to say this is probably the highest card we have that has the uh besides some of the riders that are left um this is the highest card i think that could not get you anything um right but the fact that it's just the way that the card is structured that it's like you've destroyed a ship you you're rolling two dice it's a lot of like that it's completely unexpected um yeah to the other player um, but yeah, there is a chance that it won't work. Um, yeah, but it's, it's such a juicy situation that it would be, I think used this in. one, I think this one gets its bonus points because of how thematic it is. Yeah. Compare this to plague, right? Plague 50% chance of killing a bunch of ground forces. That that should be a big deal, but I hate it. And I don't think it's a big deal because it kind of happens outside of the story of the game. It just kind of like happens and it hurt them a little bit, but they'll probably be able to recover. Courageous to the end, when you nuke two, you know, ships from your opponent in the middle of a decisive battle, that's a big thematic impact moment. And so, yeah, I think this one gets bonus points just because when Courageous to the end gets dropped on the table, the whole table goes, oh, no, here we go. What's going to happen? Like, right. It just it has that impact. And so sometimes, yes, it whiffs and does nothing. But sometimes it is justified in why everyone started screaming and freaking out. Yeah, yeah. Um, good card, clutch card. Let's talk about number 18. Infiltrate. When you gain control of a planet, replace each PDS and space dock that is on that planet with a matching unit from your reinforcements. So you get to be L1 for a day. L1 for a day, I call it. Um, And L1 is a good faction. mm -hmm. (laughs) Compared to uh, Ghost of Creus, which I'm not suggesting Ghost is a bad faction, but Lost Star Chart, we said, is you get to be Ghost for a day. But Ghosts are a tricky, weird faction that is hard to use. This is a good ability that is good to use and is copying the ability of a good faction. Like right. everything about it is is net benefit, basically. Yeah, and you can get so much done. I mean, just the idea that you are getting a PDS and space or space dock or PDS and space dock or two PDS and yeah. a space dock outside right. of the normal construction rotation, just that in and of itself is yep. wonderful. The fact that you're yeah. taking it away from somebody else, that's magical. 
basically. Right. And the fact that the timing window is such that you can immediately build out of that space mm-hmm. dock mm-hmm. is absolutely untenable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just wild that they are allowed to do this uh, because not only did you just win a combat and take a planet for somebody and take two of their structures that were very hard for them to build, but you just reinforced the ever loving bejesus out of right. that planet. Like right. it's now it's, it's, they're never ever getting it back because mm-hmm. of this one action card. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it can be, uh, it can be a card that can really shape like an entire round or two basically around it. Um, yeah. The, I would say the the downside of this card is that sometimes there's just not really a very good opportunity to infiltrate, which is also just yeah. kind of a problem with L1. Sometimes, like, right. you just never get to use that ability. Um, right. But I would People say... People just aren't building space docks and PDS outside their home systems sure, that, 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 that does happen. That does happen. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I think... Um, I think if you're getting to use it, then it's 100% always going to be worth it and useful. Yeah. However, right. you might not always have an opportunity. Right. So. It's one of those cards that sometimes it just sits in your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like the way you're putting that. Like the, the difference between being sometimes courageous to the end whiffs mm-hmm. and then you've used it and it whiffed. That sucks. But with infiltrate, if you're not using it, it's still in your hand. It's never going to whiff. Right. It's always going to have the benefit it, it advertises. Right, right. Yeah, so that's that's kind of another variable in the way that I feel like we're evaluating this, which is like courageous to the end. It It's a bummer that you don't get something for sure that you might it might whip, right. um, but you're, you're always going to get a chance to use it. Whereas Infiltrate, I mean, I've definitely had games where Infiltrate sat in my hand and I never got to do anything with it. So, I right. mean, that's just another factor. What's the next, what's the next uh, one we num- want to talk about? Number 17. Whoa. Oh, Unex- is, was this unexpected for you? Hunter, oh, yeah. We sorry. I, I, did, I, I forgot that number 17 was the next number after 18. Yeah. So well, that's crazy. because I played unexpected action. Uh-huh. Action. Remove one of your command tokens from the board and return it to your reinforcements. Huge. Obviously huge. Super huge. Yeah. Really big. Um, because people don't see it. People in late rounds, people think about unexpected action, but you never know who's going to have it. Right. You never know where it's going to come from. And it's almost always like a game. It, no, it always is a game changer. Yeah. If you're playing unexpected action, it's because you need to completely do this thing right now and it's going to change how many points you have and it's going to be a big deal. It's warfare outside of the confines of having warfare. So, yeah, it's it it's the most unexpected action card. Right. Um. I remember I was playing a Goodyear Brotherhood game and I had to use, uh, it was that time, I think we've already talked about it in the show, but it's been a while, where somebody um, got into my home system to blockade my space dock and they did it by yeah. using a, a skilled retreat. Like they sent right. a weak fleet against one right. of my stronger fleets and then skilled retreated into my home system because I didn't have any ships there, which was a mistake. Right. And then I remember I had, this was like round two or three, and I had to use unexpected action in order to uh to get your stuff to get back. my stuff back but right using an unexpected action in the early game really hurts because it, yeah. it's always a good card if you're using it but it is i think meant as a late game all right here we go this is the play it's only possible because right. of unexpected action type card and well uh, the most yeah. so like the the perfect scenario for unexpected action to, to paint like what Hunter's describing of like why you want it as a late game card is if you're Asarl and you have transparent still plating, which means other people can't play cards against you, you do a bunch of stuff, then you stall and you stall and you stall. And we've seen this in many play of the weeks. You stall, 
Now everybody's passed. You play unexpected action. It is now illegal for anyone to sabotage your unexpected right, action. Right. You lift the command counter and you do the final action that wins you the game. Mm-hmm. That's the level of import that unexpected action yep. has on the yep. game. It's, yep. It is very often the game winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that I, I bet... Uh, it has a pretty high percentage of being the second to last action of the game, basically. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> second to last action of the game. I did unexpected action, and then the next turn, I won the board game. Right, right. The game was over. What's next, baby? Number 16, skilled retreat at the start of a combat round. Move all of your ships from the active system into the adjacent system that does not contain another player's ships. The space combat ends in a draw. Then place a command token from your reinforcements in that system. What a weird! Uh, it's a little card. bit like foresight. It's a weird card. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Beltrami has gone on record of saying he wishes he had never said retreat was in the name of it mm-hmm. because it's it's just specifically not a retreat and does not follow the same rules as retreat, even though it is incredibly similar to a retreat. So very confusing. There's four of them, which is wild. Right. It is uh, wild that there's four. Like it's such yeah. a crazy ability that there would be four of like a lot of the four cards are like kind of meat and potatoes like the first things you would think of like to do for action cards where a skilled retreat is a pretty specific thing um it's also weird that it creates a draw state uh which we've talked about before uh where we have different views as far as what the word draw means whereas i think it means draw well you think it means double loss no, I'm on board now. I just hate it. I just think it's <laughs> it's not defined. It's not defined. Which right. I'm not going to munchkin it. I'm not going to be that mm-hmm, person. Mm-hmm. I, I will concede to the rules, but I wouldn't be opposed if someday Dane was like, a draw is two losses. But he already has said, no, a draw is a third. The only reason we even talk about a draw is because of salvage operations with Mentac. Right. I, and it's just a really weird logic that Mentac can lose a fight and gain a trade good. They can win a fight and gain a trade good and w- build a ship. But if for some reason both of you kill each other's units or if the other person uses a skilled retreat, Mentac doesn't gain anything off of their tech. That's just very, very strange logic. But this is not a t- I, faction I get tech episode. This is an action card episode. Now, that is weird. Skilled retreat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's odd. It doesn't make any sense. But uh, but this is, this is a big card because like, this is another situation where uh people bank on killing a flagship Mm -hmm. or you know just really specific things um and and the fact that it can be used offensively is what pushes it higher than the other cards where it's like oh well if all it can do is help you kill a flagship whatever this is like well no you you can do really weird Mm -hmm. slick maneuvers very weird well you can do scary stuff with this action card it's because you can retreat to anywhere anywhere that's unoccupied you can go um Right. Which is great that it's that free, but it does, yeah, it does allow you to potentially use it offensively. It allows you to use it just to get some extra movement, even like yeah, right. If yeah, it it you can almost use it like um, like a really slow poor man's light wave deflector if there's empty right. space on the other side of a fleet, and then you're like, exactly. okay, well I'll get over there. It it it's great that we have unexpected action and skilled retreat back to back because as a combo they would be literally yep. insane. But um, you don't even need the unexpected... I mean, skilled retreat with warfare is sure. equally insane mm-hmm. and not that mm-hmm. hard to pull off. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's again, there's four of them in the deck. It's very common for someone to have warfare and probably have a skilled retreat in their hand. So yeah. it's... Yeah, there's a lot you can do with skilled retreat, so much so that it's like we can't even talk about all the different instances in which skilled retreat can be used to, like, really do some damage. Yeah, skilled retreat But even is, defensively. Yeah. Yeah, there's like, there's, like, the intention of its... Well, the intention, like we know, but... 
what it feels like the intention is. And then there's all the different weird ways that people can use it. Um, very interesting card. It's great that you get something, uh, for certain, uh, it's even better that you can apply this use in a myriad of ways. Right. Right. Number 15 veto. When an agenda is revealed, discard that agenda and reveal one agenda from the top of the deck players vote on this agenda instead yeah yeah we haven't yeah. seen uh we haven't seen agenda phase stuff in a while no right? i mean all the agenda stuff was kind of buried towards the bottom of the pack so why is veto so good uh because there's because there are some agendas out there that are actually it feels like there's more and more as we play there are so many yeah. agendas that are really just all right we want to ruin one specific player's day right um right and veto is going to save your life uh, when it comes to yep. that situation. Um, yep. It's it's really crazy how many agendas feel like they cut down that way, where it's just like, actually, this one is designed to where just all the players are going to want to vote uh, on you. Uh, and if you're yeah. you, you basically have to have a veto, otherwise you're screwed. Right. So it, it was hard to decide exactly where to put veto, right? Because something like Skilled Retreat, yes. you can imagine using all the time. Veto, uh, there's going to be a lot of games where uh, you don't use it, but I will 100% of the time be happy to have a veto in my hand. Yes. Always. Exactly. I'll keep the veto. I'll, yes. I'm not going to burn that veto. I, and there's I, there's kind of a big agenda phase thing that I think has to get broken down here because when we talk about the agenda phase, usually, like the reason we get these high impact agendas it's not like most of the agendas in the deck are high impact they're not but that's what people send through when they take politics mm -hmm. so that's i mean i think most of the time if you see a a nothing burger agenda it's either because it's the last round of the game and the person who played politics doesn't need any crazy stuff to happen or it got there randomly mm -hmm. those are the only two reasons boring agendas get to the top right beyond that People put scary stuff on top. So Vito's value is already increased. Vito's value is increased even more because the the scenario Hunter painted is like, oh, you might be the person who's targeted and you need to veto sure, that sure. thing. But you know what's even more common? Mm -hmm. That you're not, but now Vito is currency. Yeah. And you can use it for somebody else and get paid to use it. It's one of those action... It's, it is probably the action card that gets paid to be used more than any other action card in the game. Certainly. Um, Sometimes I, you pay people for sabotages, mm -hmm. but you very often pay someone to play a veto. Yeah, I would say outside of sabotage, veto is the most common, like, bargained for card. Yep. Um, and what's cool is that veto, yeah, it's like, if, if you're, depending on what faction you're playing, veto might not actually be a very good card for you. There, there are a lot of factions right. that I feel like don't really get targeted by any specific agendas. Um, but... If you are that person and you have veto, okay, right. cool. If you get leverage over somebody via agenda and they need your veto, that is essentially yep. priceless. That is essentially right. worth support for the throne, which is right. like the be the best thing that you can get. So that's exactly yeah. yeah. It's it's perfectly common for a veto to be worth a point. Yeah, maybe sometimes, and this is I know getting a little bit like ridiculous, but you, it's not implausible to get two support for the thrones from veto. If it's like a wormhole, whatever it's called, oh, where like you kill saying. a bunch of units and like if multiple people are gonna have their game devastated mm -hmm. by an agenda, the person with veto has all the power. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not unheard of to get two points off of a single veto. Um, again, that's like best case scenario, but I can't think of any other action card that's gonna net you two victory points. Right.
And also, it's just it feels good being safe with a veto. Yeah. Like that. That's right. I really want to stress that. Like I realize this is a yeah. card where you're not always going to get a great opportunity to use it. Uh, so its value is a little bit wobbly when it comes to that. But I will always be happy to have one. I would never yes. ever be like, eh, I don't not. like. I want to yeah. have one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, number fourteen, Rise of a Messiah. Action: Place one infantry from your reinforcements on each planet you control. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, we 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 pooped our pampers over frontline deployment, and this is. Even better. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, honestly, actually, when we were talking about it, Hunter, you actually had a little bit of, you you thought they were kind of eking each other out. It was it was a really close match for you. It is closer for me. Rise of the Messiah was better than uh, Frontline Deployment. So go go through that with, uh, with me. So Frontline Deployment, I can see. So, okay. The way I kind of see it is this. So Rise of the Messiah is like the perfect like round three card mm-hmm. where yeah. I'm, I'm it's, very, it's defensive. I'm getting, uh, uh, units on every planet which is like that's like impossible to do like i realize what rise of messiah is accomplishing is amazing but frontline deployment putting three ground forces on one specific planet that has the potential to be used as a late game play in order to get ground forces somewhere critical in order to um either either on the defensive end prevent someone from like invading your home system uh right or on the offensive end, allowing you to actually um, accomplish a difficult invasion. Whereas Rise of Messiah, it's lots of ground forces and they're everywhere, which is crazy and awesome. However, uh, when we're talking about the late game and we really just need specific things in specific places, it's at most two ground forces in one system. Now, obviously, if you've got, you know, if you've got carrier like if you have a combination of other things you can use rise of messiah in much the same way but frontline deployment is very clean as far as a late game uh get infantry in a place uh card now but that all being said rise of messiah is awesome uh i will another point though in my little mini debate i'm having right here with myself (laughs) is that rise of messiah is a lot more sabotageable um yeah people people well what sucks about rise of the messiah is like you said it comes out early yes, more often. That's true. And people are kind of like, oh, am I really going to burn this sabotage right now? You I should. Can't prove that you this, know what? You should, I can't though. prove that this Rise of the Messiah is going to have a huge impact. Maybe we'll all be fine. No. Um, it, and and But no, you're right. You should sabotage the Rise of the Messiah, you should. I think. You um, should. Because it's a, it's a big deal. Here's the argument for Rise of the Messiah being up at number 14, which it exactly is. Um, the difference between zero ground forces on a planet and one ground force on a planet is astronomical Mm -hmm. uh it's it's a huge deal and how much effort it takes someone to take those planets let's say you have a two planet system that you took round one and then you abandoned round two to keep moving forward and now you have two empty planets in one system if you can rise of a messiah and get two ground forces there if they if those planets were empty one person needs to send one carrier with two infantry to take those two planets if there are now one ground force on each two ground forces versus one invading still isn't even great right, odds right to make it a sure bet you need three which means if you need three ground forces per combat you need more than one carrier you just up like substantially how much stuff they have to bring just to come take those planets yep, yep. Um, just by putting one ground force on each of planet so 
the defensive capability of Rise of the Messiah is completely insane, especially when it comes to empty planets that like you need to clutch save. Yeah. And you know, every yeah. planet just became so much stronger because of this one card and, and you can like save your own game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There are plenty of games where you stretch too thin and oh man, now my planets are going to start getting jumped on rise of the Messiah may completely save. People won't even come into your slice because it's like, well, there's ground forces on every planet. It's not worth the effort, but if it's an empty planet, I might throw one command counter and a carrier to go, you know, nab up some planets right and this but if they're slightly defended nope i'm done i'm not gonna go there right right and and everything you've said uh totally true i 100 percent agree with and this is all outside of without even mentioning that if you happen to be one of the infantry focused factions right this carries on a whole new meaning if you're yin if you're arborek if you're soul this is insane getting rise of messiah yeah. especially arborek Ar- yeah if arborek plays rise of the messiah you should definitely sabotage it because uh, you can crush their game if you do sabotage. If they're if they're not getting their infantry off and they they do a rise of the messiah, that's what's going to save the game for them. And if you want to completely kneecap one player at the table, a simple sabotage on the rise of the messiah will do it. Mm-hmm. It's also just so satisfying to use, like when you fill yeah. out your slice and then you play a rise of the messiah cleanly on round three. And you just get, you know, you're just like, all right, I'm going to go into the mid game uh, being pretty defensible. It's great. Right. Right. Number 13. Reactor meltdown action. Destroy one space dock in a non home system. Yeah. It's the Sarball killer. Mm -hmm. It's the it's the the repellent for SAR, uh, but even more so, it's good against anybody. Yeah. Um, I won't reiterate all the same points about how annoying construction objectives are. Um, but certainly a lot worse to lose a space stock than a PDS. I agree with by that. By like orders of magnitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, pretty bad. I mean, I remember our first interaction with Reactor Meltdown was uh, the first time you played Winu and you took Mechatol Rex and you got your space stock. <laughs> and before you could even use it, someone played Reactor uh. Meltdown right away. You tweeted it, I remember. You tweeted yeah. a picture of the card Reactor Meltdown next to your yep. space stock that you were losing. Um, yeah. And what's crazy wow. is about reactor meltdown is that like, let's say there's not a SAR and there is a Winu, then I can a hundred percent guarantee if somebody gets it, yep. that's probably where they're going to play it. Um, yeah. Which is odd, but um, yeah. The, the meta has become really fun for this one though, too, where this is, this is one of those ones where once you re- reveal that you have the reactor meltdown, be prepared to play it because this is another one that's going to get bought. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you threaten a SAR with a reactor meltdown, very often they'll pay you off. Yeah. Uh, d- depends on the timing. If they're about to get their second one or third one, maybe they're just like, you know what, whatever, screw you, that's fine. Um, but there's plenty of situations where it's going to be worth some money to threaten that reactor meltdown. And you know what's also going to be worth some money? A couple players at the table might be like, actually, I really do want you to destroy that SAR. And now you have a bargaining war over your single action card. And now the player who doesn't want it played on them is arguing with the people that are trying to get you to play it on them, and the price just keeps getting higher. Mm -hmm. This is an action card that merely by saying you have it, you start getting propositions for people to give you stuff. Yep. Yep. And that's a huge power let alone the fact that the card itself is a big impact on the table. It's like, no, it's, it's also sort of like our veto, our veto argument. Like this is a, this makes you money and you're going to use it when you make, like you're going to use it, gain a benefit from having used it and make money off of using it because other people wanted you to do so. Yeah. And you get something for sure. 
Um, and yeah, it's a great, probably one of the best, if not the best, like extortion cards in, yeah. in, in the biz, basically. I, I would try very, very hard to, uh, play it and get paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're, if you're the only reason I wouldn't try to get paid when I play it is because I'm the one being directly threatened by the space dock in question. Right. Um, but otherwise like someone should pay you to use this card cause it's very good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, number 12, Experimental Battle Station. After another player moves ships into a system during a tactical action, choose one of your space docks that is either in or adjacent to that system. That space dock uses space cannon uh, times three against ships in the active system. Oh. Oofa doofa. Yeah. Yeah, you get, you get, if you had PDS... You get even more shots. If you are extra, you get even more shots. I mean, nothing is more powerful than space cannon when it's when there's a lot of it. Right. 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 One or two shots of space cannon is like, ah, okay, whatever. I have to deal with that. But as soon as you get to three or four or higher, that's a huge deal. And this one card is a clutch defender. Yeah. Right. I mean, this this is the reason you're playing it is because they're attacking your undefended home system. Right. Yeah. And th- I think that's. I think the biggest uh, strength of the card is that it is uh, unexpected uh, always. Um, there's right. really no way to predict that it's going to come out. There's only one of them out there. Um, and the fact that it's going to... Basically, the nature of the card is that it's going to trap your opponent in a situation where they uh, misunderestimated you by quite a bit. Uh, yeah. That's three, three shots on a five. That's... That's You're gonna nuts. get a hit, at least one. And also, and, and so, with, with plasma scoring, that's four hits on a five. Technically, four, right? So yeah, l- any faction yeah. with plasma scoring gets even more benefit out of this card, and and it's it's especially useful because I feel like when the most common time I see it is when someone's just trying to exploit someone else. Mm-hmm. It's it's I'm sending one carrier, a couple fighters, a couple ground forces, and I'm gonna take your home system because you 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 stupid little idiot, you didn't leave it defended. So I'm gonna I'm really gonna get one over on you. And the person says, Oh darn, that sucks. Go ahead, come on over, and then plays this action card, and the whole attack is thwarted. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 a crusher for someone who's trying to get one over on you. Yeah. Um, I I think it's it is up so high because in a similar sense to like courageous to the end when it comes out thematically everyone freaks out and it can be a big right. deal right. once again it doesn't necessarily have to change anything it yep. could it could be completely it could completely whiff but i think this one this is coming back to the same argument as earlier where courageous to the end saves a space combat this potentially i mean this this prevents a space combat right it's getting one step ahead of courageous to the end in terms of what what you're blocking and that's why mm-hmm. it kind of gets pushed up above it is because you might be able to call off the entire fight with this action card yeah for sure and uh, yeah it it could just it has that uh wiggle room to be potentially very very devastating um yeah whereas like some of these cards it's like th- there's there's been a lot of talk of like oh here's stuff you get for sure um, and then there are the cards that like have that wiggle room of like, you might not get anything. There's plague that's courageous to the end. There's experimental battle station. Experimental battle station is the best example of this though, because the situation yeah. that you're going to get to use it, it's, is just, it's potentially insane. Right. One more thing too. I want to bring up. I, I 
feel like is maybe even a bigger factor. We're talking about like, oh yeah, you can protect your home system, but the person who puts the PDS network in space dock adjacent to Mechatol Rex and gets this card just gained so much power over the mm-hmm. control of Mechatol mm-hmm. Rex. Whether it's defending their own or preventing the big scary race from taking it, like you get so much power when you've got a space dock next to Mechatol Rex or on Mechatol Rex with Experimental Battle Station in hand. That, right. That's an even more clutch right. uh, play. Right. Yeah, I mean, you could even, like, Winu could use it from Mechatol uh, to shoot at uh anybody anybody for any reason and it's yeah it's it's a significant uh yeah it's crazy it's crazy. yeah the fact that you can hit adjacent systems are are what is what makes it like especially unexpected right because people are attacking the system over here they're not even thinking about your space dock right it was they they looked at your pds and they cared about that but they didn't consider that there's a space dock there that you might have experimental battle stations so when you use it on a system adjacent to the system with the space dock the uh, the like surprise effect is tripled Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's so it's just devastating to see it come out when you're like i didn't this was supposed to be a sure thing this was supposed to be so easy all right what's the next one what we got number 11 we're almost to the top 10 i'm excited we're almost to the top 10 number 11 is in the silence of space after you activate a system choose one system choose one system Mm -hmm. during this tactical activation your ships in the chosen system can move through systems that contain other players' ships. It's like a little mini light wave deflector. I'll be honest. Hunter, you and I messed this one up for a long time. Yep. We didn't read it properly. Mm-hmm. We didn't do our own advice last week from last uh, action card episode and read all of the cards. Yep. Uh, because this one is very specific that the only ships that can go through other ships are ones from one single system mm-hmm. going to the destination. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I've certainly used this card to send everything i've used this as a a single round uh light wave deflector or a single turn light wave deflector and it is not that it is more specific than that but it is still incredibly good yeah yeah uh it's it's one of those late game uh cards that you're gonna get and uh you're gonna be like okay i'm gonna build the entire final round around this card uh this is the play which makes it very sabotageable um right but it is, but it's uh, the the situation of the timing of it is tricky to sabotage. It. Oh, that's I'll true. Say that much. Yeah. After you activate the system, but before you've moved any ships, so the player, you 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 activate the system and you play the in the silence of space, and that player now has to do all the math themselves and figure out wait which system are they gonna choose and where are you gonna where's everything gonna come from? You know, it's just hard to figure out what all is gonna happen when they have to sabotage it before you've done any of your movement. You may have more tricks up your sleeve or whatever. You know, if, if you do your In the Silence of Space and then follow it up with the flank speed, mm-hmm. if they didn't sabotage the, you know, it just gets so tricky uh, with with all those timing windows. And uh, I, I think I think In the Silence of Space is very sabotageable, but when it comes out in practice, it is hard to sabotage it because you're just kind of like, sure. I'm yeah. not sure if this is actually as decisive as I can tell. Maybe I'm not counting everything right. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, it was, I remember when. Uh, I first started playing Twilight Imperium. It was one of the first action cards that I noticed as being really good, just in general. Yeah, I, I think it's like the first one I I knew the name of. Yeah. Without like, right. I could just be like, somewhere in that deck is a card called In the Silence of Space, and I'm afraid of it, and, right. and it needs to be dealt with. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's certainly one of the first ones I knew about. Baby's first late game card. <laughs> uh, all right, we ready to talk about number ten. 
Let's talk about number 10. Give it to me. Flank speed. After you activate a system, apply plus one to the move value of each of your ships during this tactical action. One of the most important meat and potatoes cards in the game, in my opinion. Um, So useful in every single phase of the game. Early, mid, late, always useful. Um, You always need one. Uh, I think it's... There's four of them. Yeah, there's four of them. It's That's great. good. Um, there's the there's only one other card I can think of that has the level of like I need to always try and get one of these or have two of them even. Mm-hmm. Um, you yep. always need movement. Uh, it's yeah, it's 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 fantastic. Yeah, and and again, it's it's the game winner. It's no one thought you were going to get as far as you you could. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I just said, you combo within the silence of space. You can combo with all kinds of things. Like it's just a part of your final maneuver, right? Right. You you might not see a use for it. You might draw it round two, and you just need to keep in the back of your mind: do not discard this card because there's going to be an opportunity in round six where I need it very badly. Yeah. And so you yeah. just need to bank it. And 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 if you get a second one. The first one becomes a little bit more usable. All right, let's use it for just kind of a high utility movement. And now I can keep the other one for the big game changer move. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just just a huge card. Love it. I like that you categorize it as one of the meat and potatoes, that it's just so simple but crucial to the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's, uh, uh, it's like, Whenever they were designing the action cards, I feel like it's the most basic thing that the action cards should allow right. you to do, which is yeah. do something unexpected uh, that was not right. that was not visually represented, a hidden ability. Right. And right. the idea that you're going to be able to move somewhere that it was not expected you were going to be able to move is is such an obvious, basic, important thing that you'd be able to do. Basically, you always right. need to be able to move somewhere that someone did not expect, and flank speed is like that that's all it is and it's great yeah right all right number nine signal Signal jamming action choose one non-home system that contains or is adjacent to one of your ships place a command token from another player's reinforcements in that system this one's got some really specific things to it and and i think that's why some people might kind of be like oh my gosh number nine for signal jamming but it's a it's a huge deal card for a multitude of reasons. It's uh, a stall, right? What were you gonna say? Uh, I was gonna say that this is the number one like trip up your opponent in the late game, yes. prevent them right. from winning a card, yep. basically. And it's right. it's uh, it's so good for that. Actually, I mean, there's one more card that is way more like trip. Oh, you thought you were gonna get the point, but you're not going to now. Um, yeah, yeah. I will say that signal jamming is a little bit tricky to use, and I've seen it misused. Yes. Um, yep. But the potential that it has to uh, basically stop someone from winning the game is very obvious, basically. Right, right. The The big deal to me, too, is we talked about with Diplomacy Rider being able to activate Mechatol Rex with it. Um, this has that same thing. It is, it is like Diplomacy, but it is not limited to being used against Mechatol Rex, which can be huge. Yeah. Um, because you can you can either stop someone from invading Mechatol Rex when you are there, or someone has a weakly defended Mechatol Rex and you know they're planning to reinforce it, but you want to jump on it, you can lock all their stuff down or and or or whatever. You know, there, there's just so many uses to being able to open up locking down uh, 
Mechatol Rex. It's a it's a yeah. big deal, and and very often you're adjacent to Mechatol Rex. I mean, it's you know, especially I mean, we're seeing in tourney, you know, basically every player ends up adjacent to Mechatol Rex right. because of the layout of our map. But even still, in general, it's pretty common for you to end up with some ships nearby. Um, and and I just think that this card, I think it's the best. The second best defensive card we have in, up here, I guess. Right. Depends yep. on how you wh- what you call. Sa- I guess sabotage is a defensive card, but I, we're getting into the like superpower defensive cards. Right. Um, yeah, I would just say signal jamming is something that I always worry about uh, in the yeah. late game. If I'm if I'm having a good game, uh, if I feel like I have a, a chance at winning it, uh, I'm going to be thinking like, oh well, what if somebody signal jams this unit right here? Um, right. If these if if uh, these ships get locked down before they get to accomplish the action phase secret that I have to do, you know, it's like if someone is very efficiently reading the table, signal jamming is really all it can take sometimes to ruin your game. And also it's one of those cards that has the potential for the entire table to find it and want to use it against you. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. Like in the same way that reactor meltdown, it's like, because somebody is probably going to draw it, you can almost be like, well, there's going to be a 100% chance that someone might want to reactor meltdown SAR or Winu. Right. Like, you can basically say right. that all the time. Um, if you have a table that is really doing a j- good job of reading and calling out who the leaders are, which isn't always, but if that is sure. uh, if that is true, then signal jamming is like 100% going to mess up your plan. Um, right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Let's talk about... Number yeah. eight... Uh, Imperial Rider, after an agenda is revealed, do the prediction stuff. If your prediction is correct, gain a victory point. All right. Uh, this is the most out-of-step victory point, I think, in the game, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, there's agendas that get victory points. There's the objectives, obviously. This one is just the most, like, ah, now we have to... And, and it completely changes the context of an agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're smart, you play it on something that is either a sure thing or everyone else has played a bunch of writers on the other side of it or whatever right. you know i have seen this get misplayed it's not crazy difficult to like make this a poor play um but it always when imperial writer gets played the agenda no longer matters mm-hmm. all that matters is where imperial writer is that's, that's now the 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 agenda the agenda is now four so and so gets a point mm-hmm yeah, uh, um, the reason it. Oh, go ahead. I think you can effectively almost use it as a veto as well. Um, yeah, but that's basically. what I like about the the versatility of it uh, is that it can be used, and if you're wily enough, you can use it to actually get a point and force them to uh, to hand that to you, depending on how the agenda is cutting out. Um, but right. you can also just like see something come up that's like really going to hurt you, and then basically be like, "All right, well, uh, you guys have to give me a point if you're going to hurt me this bad." Um, right, which sometimes they end up do, doing. It, it just it it's it's a very good defensive uh, yeah. agenda card, uh, but you can also use it uh, offensively as well. Um, it's uh, it's great. It's worth a point, which is you know right. kind of the dang old reason Hard that we play. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's the whole way that you win. Um, actually, I would say the reason it's not ranked. It is so good, and the reason it's not ranked higher. Is because of how immensely sabotageable it is. Sure, uh, I, I would in, argue in, in a literal like, sense and in a non-literal sense too. Like, yeah, in a right. in a you can play sabotage the action card on it, but also like it's easy for other players uh, to mess it up yes. for you. Sometimes the 
what happens is you play Imperial Rider, and then the way that everybody else plays their riders makes it impossible for you to get your Imperial Rider. So, right. yeah. Yeah. Um, but but even with just dealing with the Sabotage action card, um, I feel like this is one of the ones that the most people have the incentive to want to sabotage it. Right. Right. They, it's only if you're in dead last that people are like, eh, I don't care if he gets a point. Right. But in most cases, like you played the Imperial Rider, everyone immediately asks, okay, who's got a sabotage? And it's not like a big skin off their back to play the sabotage on it. It is worth it. It is worth it to play the sabotage on this card. And somebody's probably got it. And th- there's just a lot of discussion that happens when this card gets played. So I think it gets knocked down a peg because how quick and easily many players will sabotage it. For some play, play groups, it's basically automatic. Mm-hmm. If Imperial Rider gets played, it will get sabotaged 100%. Yeah. So... I think it goes down a couple pegs. It's at number eight because of that. I, I would love to see it in top five otherwise, but it, it gets knocked down a bit. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, th- I think it's it's where it belongs uh, now and forever at number eight. Um, but yeah, it's it's because it's it's got that uh, it's got that wiggle room of like uh, it's worth a point, but you you do have to play it correctly. I mean, you have to be smart about it, and the table could always just like completely buck uh, at what yeah. you're trying to do. Some people treat it as poison, like you're saying, basically. So in that case, right. it's never really going to work. But in that way, if it's always worth a sabotage, it's, you know, that's something. That's, a, yeah, that's one less sabotage card. out there. Something. Yeah. Right. Number seven, repeal law, action, discard, one law from play. I think there are probably some listeners out there who are hearing repeal law as our seventh best action card, and they are quite confused why we think this is such a crucial action card. Yeah, well, why do we think that? No, no. uh, How about you do it? How about you do it? Sure. I will do it. Um, Repeal Law, uh, if you're using it correctly, is a point for you. It's it's an action card that should give you a point um, because the weird interaction, and I believe we talked about this last action card episode, but the weird thing with Repeal Law is... If you discard a law from play that was giving someone a victory point, they do not lose that victory point. So the the example being, you know, Shard of the Throne. If you get Shard of the Throne played on you and you have that victory point, if you discard Shard of the Throne, you keep the point despite losing the Shard, so that point can no longer be taken from you. Um, any point that you gain outside of the objectives is a hugely important thing. That's why Mechatol Rex can be so important. Getting Imperial points off of Mechatol means... You just upped like the amount of potential you have to score in that mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. So repeal law is that same factor. If I can get the crown of Amphidia, if I can get the shard of the throne, all I have to do is repeal it, and I now gain the point forever. Right. So that's one major reason this is hugely powerful. Now that's not what makes it number seven, though, because at the end of the day, even if you're not getting rid of a thing that gives you a point you can still get rid of an agenda that is a complete horrible thorn in your side and reopen the game up to yourself. If all the right. wormholes got closed and that's ruining your opportunity to win, repeal law opens up your opportunity to win again. Yeah. And anything else like that. I mean, that, like there are, like we've talked about multiple times, there are lots of very devastating agendas out there. And to be able to repeal them is very good. Obviously, the directives where it's just like, oh, it fired off. Yeah, that you don't not... get to do anything about that. Right, right, but right. the laws that hurt you you can save yourself, and that's a big deal. And and the same thing goes for getting paid for repeal law. Someone out there really hates that this agenda exists, and you might be able to get paid to use your repeal law that you've been sitting on. Yeah, I mean, you're so just an- you're getting to to 
to get rid of what has essentially been a really horrible rule for somebody. I mean, I would say uh, basically 100% of the time you can you can uh, sell repeal law uh, in mm-hmm. much the same way that you can sell veto. Uh, but it also just has a lot of very strange interactions that come along with it. Um, it's yeah. I, I would say it's very weird that it is this high. And I think the reason that it is is has a lot to do with those very strange uh, potential in it basically right. yeah basically anytime yeah, you have an agenda like that talks about potential. yeah yeah it's like it's 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 all it's very gamey the reason that it's this high yeah. you know what i mean like right. it's not it's it's not a logical thing i don't even know if it was like an intentional thing for repeal law to have as much uh, potential energy that it has um right so i would say it's just like overall a pretty useful card at about the same level as veto but then also carries this like very strange specific circumstances yes. with it. yeah yeah Number six, insubordination, action, remove one token from another player's tactic pool and return it to his reinforcements. This is our highest ranking as an action action card. Yeah. This is, this is by the books, the best stall action you can have. It's so, it's Which so I, wild. I think is a little bit um, counterintuitive because you're just removing one command counter from a tactics pool from somebody else. Um, but that's because the way you're supposed to play it is to stop the final action of someone who's going to pl- do a really big action, right? right. I and mean, that's that's the whole point of insubordination is you block a game-winning move and you just saved the game for yourself. Yep. Uh it's uh, the command counter economy is like one of the most difficult things to contend with in TI4. Um this I feel like is I mean it's it's very akin to signal jamming. I would I would call them like sister sister cards yeah. basically. Right. Um except for this one if you're watching the other players, uh, you could find an opportunity to use it basically in any round of the game. Signal jamming right. feels very specific. It feels like most of the opportunities that are going to be so specifically useful for it is late game where there is a f- big fleet that needs to do something, right? That's like the classic yes. example of like, this is when signal jamming is going to be useful. Uh, uh-oh, right. that, that fleet's locked down. You're not going to be able to do anything with it, and that was a fleet you are going to use to get the point. Insubordination... Right is like that except for you could find somebody uh that that is running low on command counters at any round of the game and basically stop them from getting a point pretty easily uh it's almost easier i would say in the early to mid game round to stop somebody from scoring with insubordination um so that's kind of that's kind of my argument for insubordination being uh, at number six is that it's yeah. it's akin to to signal jamming except for it's devastating basically all the time. Now the the thorn in its side is there are some factions that will basically never have a problem with insubordination. Uh, Isarl right. being the easiest example, you insubordinate yeah. Isarl and they're just going to be like, yeah, whatever. I mean, I'm stalling. I'll be fine. Yeah. I'll, I'll be able to to figure this out. Um, right. But uh, yeah, give me give me the right faction, uh, and essentially there will be like a million little opportunities to use insubordination, and all of them will be uh, really rough on somebody, basically. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I like you bringing up the kind of like mid-game potential of it because I don't think enough people do things to block people's mid-game points, mm-hmm. and those can be a big deal. Stalling someone out of a point in round three is like, oh, that, that, that sets them back for their potential to swing in round six. Right. And insubordination doesn't have to only be used as the final game-making play, right? Flank speed and those kind of things typically do, but blocking someone in round three or four from getting the final move they wanted to do can set them back a lot more than just one command counter. Yep. It, it sets back their entire game plan for maybe the next two or three rounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so It also has that, like, everybody team up on them kind of aspect to it, where, like, if mm-hmm. you insubordinate someone correctly, then I guarantee you that other players are going to try and stall that player out. Like, it, yeah. it, it's just a, it's just how it works. Like, if, if, if I have mismanaged my command counters, I'm going into a round and I've only got, like, one in tactic. And then right. somebody else insubordinates me. I lose that one tactic. Now everyone knows if they wait on leadership, I'm yep. out for this round. I'm not exactly. doing anything. And I'm yeah. completely. It's more than just your final action. You just cost them the entire round of being able to accomplish yeah. anything. Yeah. And even it, like even very good players, everyone that is listening to this show and has that has ever played Twilight Imperium for any amount of time can tell you there are times that you go into a round with one or two yeah. in your tactic. It's not. It doesn't mean that you're bad that you went in like no. that. But if you are, that means you are at a very high risk of being insubordinated, and it could crush yep. your round basically. Yep. Yeah. And and by extension, crush your whole game because yeah. one round of like losing all those opportunities. How do you come back from that? It's very, very hard. Right. Uh, number five, Ooh. parlay. Yeah. After another player commits units to land on a planet you control, return the committed units to the space area. This is back to that bunker kind of debate of like, oh, increasing the chances. This is just straight up and down. You're not invading this planet. Mm-hmm. You're not invading Mechatol Rex. You're not invading my home planet. Right. You're not invading that fourth planet trait or that fifth tech specialty or whatever it is. There's there's just nothing they can do about it except for, you know, pop a sabotage. But like a parlay is very, very often used to block a point, And it's equally often used to completely save like the most critical planet in your slice. Yeah, I think of it more the situation I where I feel like parlay comes up all the time is when you're trying to stop the leader, whenever you're trying to stop the person that's about right. to win the game. All right, we've invaded the home system. Uh, oh, I hope they don't have parlay. Well, if they do, yes. then this is over, basically. Unless we right. have a sabotage, which I, I would right. say, like, any card that is talked about with that level, like, basically, all the cards that we have left are are essentially that. Um, right. We're in the top five, yeah. and it's it's all... It's just cards. We, who has that? Right. We're looking for it all game. Yeah. I'm constantly worried about who has this card and who has that card. Right. Um, yeah, so, par- so parlay is just something, like, you have to factor in as a possibility all the time. Um, it's, it is, it is in kind of a weird way, kind of a, a win more card as far as its crazy mm-hmm. potential. It's always going to be helpful to parlay. Um, but there, yeah, we, we can describe it as if like, it is the card that is going to like lock in the victory for you. Uh, but it also can just be the card that you use to deny a point, which is also good. So it right. kind of has that range right. from being like point denial is on the low end you know what i mean right like point denial <laughs> at the worst you're gonna do is deny a point with one card uh the best yeah. you're gonna do is literally this is what allowed you to uh win the game basically right right so pretty great card Num- 
pretty great. Very simple in how great it is, honestly. That's kind of the other part that's great about it. It's just like, stop the combat. That's it. There's, there's nothing else to talk about. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. We're done. We're done here. Thank you. Goodbye. Like, just, just so easy. Uh, number four, political stability. Yeah. When you would return strategy cards during the status phase, do not return your strategy card. You do not choose strategy cards during the next strategy phase. So you get to keep whatever you were just playing. Right. Uh, Obviously, with Imperial, it's like the biggest, it's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going into the last round and you know that if you just need Imperial and they'll win it, political stability in your hand when you already just used Imperial is is it. That's the game. You're going to win it now. Right. The only thing that can stop you is a sabotage. Um, th- it's so hard to talk about these cards because honestly, I've gotten to the point where we now don't see them used huge anymore, right? Because people know they have to keep the sabotages right. for these cards. Right. So in this this top five, or especially just like in political stability's case, it's like it's such a good card that you don't actually get to see it played that often because of how off just how everybody's banking a sabotage right. for it. Right. Um but that doesn't mean it's an any worse card. Like that that's what keeps it up this high, is like you need to put it up this high because everyone at the table needs to be worried about this card. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, if if you get to use political stability correctly, uh, that it, that is another situation that I feel like we've mentioned several times now, which is that this card is the like, well, I won the game because I was able to do this. Right. Political stability is like if I draw that in round one, well, now <laughs> I plan the next three or four rounds based on yes. political stability. Right. Like because you need to know when are you going to get politics mm-hmm. so that you can get imperial around before anyone is afraid of you mm-hmm. so that you can political stability the round that it matters. Right. And I mean, that's, that's the easy example, but you, you could use it, you could use it uh, differently depending on how the objectives were coming yeah. out uh, to even political stability in a way that also allowed you to win. And it doesn't just have to do with Imperial. Imperial with is the easiest example. And Absolutely. when someone has Imperial, there's literally always a risk that they have political yeah. stability and so that's what makes it so powerful. It like shapes so much of the meta is shaped around this one card uh, and whether right. it can be sabotaged or not. Um, Political stability on a leadership is even a big yeah. deal. Like locking yourself into going first next round. Political stability on tech to guarantee, you know, if, if all you're going to need next round is two more tech to mm-hmm. win the game. Okay. there's there's a And that's a really good opportunity where people probably won't. Uh, sabotage it because if they yeah. don't see it yet if you've got other parts of your plan and it's just having the right amount of tech is one aspect of it political stability on tech is it feels a little bit harmless and so you, that's the way you get it through more often than not i really like what you just said actually about the political stability on leadership potential yeah um mostly because and this is kind of a weird case uh but uh i think it would be very very fun and super spicy to basically plan to stall out the entire table um uh-huh. if if i get leadership twice in a row uh essentially i in the first the first time i take leadership it should be like well i'm gonna get as many command counters as possible and maybe right. take the round as light as i can and then i'm gonna yeah. keep leadership so that next round i'm going into it being like all right i'm doing everything this round and none of you yeah. are getting to uh get any more command right. counters than you've had right basically. i'll do leadership very late in the round and you'll starve be everybody now that's a very fringe yeah. uh, way to bring it up, and you would have to. But that's what I'm saying is this: this card is so powerful in that that having it unlocks a new way of thinking, uh, yes. basically, like strategically yeah. for the game. So that's how that's how right. how how 
groundbreaking it is, basically, for you as an individual yeah. player to draw this card. Number right. three. We're there. We're hey, three. hey we, we got there. Hey, we got to... Uh, it's sabotage. <laughs> it's sabotage time. Yeah. When another player plays an action card other than sabotage, cancel that action card. There's four of these puppies, and we've been talking about it. All, every other action card is defined uh-huh. Uh-huh. by sabotage. Uh-huh. It honestly would be a really easy number one. We de- we decided right. to not do that. I feel like putting sabotage yeah. in number one is like kind of a cop out, um, right? But because it trumps all other action cards. But that's why it is at least number three. Yeah, it's exactly number three. It's yeah. because it stops everything else and every every by some definition every action card is defined by how sabotageable it is yes the bottom of this list is stuff that's not you're not that worried about sabotaging and the stuff at the top of this list you are worried about sabotaging yeah um it it's just i don't even think we need to say much you know what i mean like no literally because we've been talking about it the entire episode yeah yeah so that's the thing about (laughs) sabotage is like yeah the reason it's here is because we haven't shut up about it the entire time we've been talking about action cards we've literally talked about it probably once every two or three minutes for this entire what how long is this episode going to be like five hours jesus yeah something like that yeah (laughs) so like it's it's an insane card it is it is it's bread and butter it's important it's 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 game changing it's like it's 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 gonna be the most important card uh that anybody ever has basically a sabotage it's and it's, it's the most important. counted card out of anything it's yes. it's people yes. really want to know exactly how many sabotages have been used and that's a big yeah. big factor and people and you can again with all these other things vetoes type stuff you can sell your sabotages and it's very common yes. to sell sabotages yes. so it's not just saving you it's not just defensive you're using a sabotage for any and all sorts of reasons yeah and honestly if we were boring we would have put it at number one um because it is the boring answer to uh, what is the best yeah. action card. Uh, but too bad it's not, and we're in charge. It's so it's number three. Lo- looks like it's number three. Now and forever. Solid. Now and forever. In, in stone. Rock. Rock. <laughs> like a rock. Let's, <clears throat> let's talk solid as a rock. Let's talk about number two. Politics writer. Oh. The, number, the, the best writer in our books. Politics writer. You can't vote on this agenda. Predict the thing. If your prediction is correct, draw three action cards and gain the speaker token. Uh-huh. So why? Why? So why? Uh, this is the only action card. I'm going to say this, and I'm hoping I'm correct. It's the only action card where you gain, you, you net gain action cards off of playing it. Oh right, yes. <laughs> so, so in terms of uh, what people, you know, card draw mechanics and having card advantage, which is like a magic term that doesn't actually fully apply to Twilight Imperium, but in the case of Politics Writer, it's speci- it's like the only card that's like, oh, I just gained card advantage mm-hmm. because I played Politics Writer. Right. I gained, I netted two additional cards. Mm-hmm. Um, I gained three utilities, but not only that, you gained a lot out of Politics Writer uh, because yes. you also got the Speaker Token, and getting the Speaker Token in the agenda phase when someone last round played Politics and had a whole plan set up, you screwed them over and now you get to go into the next round with like exactly what you want to do this can be a game winner this can be i'm now the speaker and i'm gonna get imperial and you're not gonna stop me kind of thing Uh uh-huh um but it's but what how to like why because like it's a writer so i mean you might not necessarily mm -hmm. get it why why because you almost you almost always get it uh because when the speaker token moves um in most cases, I would say about the average. In a six-player game, the average case is going to be like 
one person gets totally screwed, one person it hurts, and then three people are benefiting from it because the speaker token is moving one step closer to them. So when you play a politics writer, it's different from an imperial writer. Imperial writer, you're the only one gaining anything. And so people go, well, we can't let them have the imperial writer. But when you play politics writer, it's very common for two people to just be like, yeah, I'm, I'll go with that. I'll go with, with politics writer person because I don't care. I want to get too closer. I would rather go fourth than fifth. And and I would rather go third than fourth. So you just you have you you build a coalition off of playing politics right, writer. Right. Even more so than Imperial Writer, it changes the definition of the agenda you're even doing. Because now the agenda is where are we gonna move the speaker token around? Right. And and multiple people are in favor of moving the speaker token. So it's just so common to see politics writer hit. Um because people don't worry that much about you gaining three action cards. It's not necessarily the worst thing in the world and they want to get higher in speaker order so it's like the most assured writer out of all the writers and it's also one of the biggest benefits i mean essentially if you play it correctly uh you i think you can totally misplay this writer uh and not actually get it but if you play it with you know any any level of uh competency competency yeah um sure then the card is effectively you get the speaker token and three action cards, um, right. which if it said that I would be like, wow, that's the best action card to be able to get the speaker token on demand uh, yeah. is so crucial. So crucial. And, and in many cases get the agenda to go the way you want. Right. Cause you could, because people are going to be on your coalition, you get to put the politics writer in favor of whichever direction you want this agenda to go. So you're getting an agenda that benefits you. You're getting the speaker token and you're getting three action cards. And most of that is pretty sure. Yeah. Um, I would say that what's, what's really interesting about it is that, um, in a lot of cases you can use it you can use it to uh end up getting the speaker token unexpectedly and go into a round uh actually now with a with a chance at winning that you might yeah. not have had before which is that's huge um also though the kind of easiest way i think to apply politics writer uh is as a denial so it kind of has it has the yeah. The ability of uh, political stability to kind of like give you a useful strategy card in a phase in an unexpected way. Um, but it right. also has um, the ability to basically steal the victory from somebody else, which also right. makes it a very easy rider to, to convince people of. If somebody has the speaker token and we're going into what's going to be the final round and it looks like they're going to win, politics rider can be the 100%, okay, it's over, they're not going to win now, right. basically. right. And if you have if you have your sneaky chance to win, you like you're gonna obviously it becomes a king making scenario if it's like, well, are we gonna let them keep the speaker token or them? Whatever. Right. But in most cases, what you're setting up is you have diverted attention away from them, you're gonna get your thing, and then you're gonna sneak a victory out of the round that people weren't expecting you to be the one to get. Yeah. It. Yeah. I th- I think that I definitely have played games where essentially that is what happened. Uh, yeah. and I think just the, just the idea that it's such a reliable way to gain the speaker token. Um, if played correctly, it's, I mean, it's just, it's a great card. What, what a great action card. Um, yeah, love it. Um, but I, I've noticed Matt, uh, we actually only have one more left. Um, oh my gosh. So what, so that would be, uh, number one. 
If you've been counting all game and you've seen all the action cards going through, you've been looking out for this one and you've been wondering what's going to happen with it. And you're worried about it. You're constantly fretting about who's got this action card. Do they have it? And we're worried about it. And you've been waiting for us to talk about it this whole time. And it's public disgrace when another player chooses a strategy card during the strategy phase. That player must choose a different strategy card if able. Public disgrace. It's the most talked about action card maybe outside of sabotage but just because sabotages are all over the place Mm -hmm. but like during a strategy phase in the final round of the game it's always the number one question does so and so have public disgrace right and do we have a sabotage to deal with Mm -hmm. it and it is by far like it it should get sabotaged almost every single time like it, it but it's because it's the game winner in every not just the game winner, but also the game blocker. And that's why it's even more. If it was just a, ooh, it's going to give you the opportunity to win, but sometimes it's not that effective, it wouldn't be number one. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it is straight up just like, we can stop that person from winning. Yep. That, that's the power of public disgrace. Yep. The whole table. That's why it, it doesn't get sabotaged as often. It gets sabotaged if, if you know, you're picking second and number one picks Imperial and you block Imperial and you want to take it. People are going to sabotage it because it's like, oh, you're in the lead. We're not going to let you get Imperial. But more often, it's the person is the speaker and they take Imperial and the whole table is in favor of you playing Public Disgrace. So the only sabotage you're worried about is from that person you're targeting. Right. And that's a way better scenario um, for this card to get played. And and it and yeah, it, it completely stalls the game out and gives everybody an opportunity to win. Yep. Still. Yep. It's one of those cards everybody's thinking about it always. Uh, I think it's the card I hate the most, actually, um, yeah. of all the cards. Because if I'm having a game uh, that's going well, uh, oftentimes, unless I have a sabotage, I there is nothing I can do about being public disgraced, basically. Right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like it's a required sabotage. And if you don't have a sabotage for it, um, if people are paying attention, you have no way of winning, basically. Yeah. If I if I in like round one, two or three or whatever, like if I in the early game get a public disgrace in my hand, um, it is now my goal to start finding all the sabotages and fishing them out. Mm-hmm. Right. Like for the rest of the game, it's like I need to do things that get people for sure. To burn their sabotages. I need to make that happen. That's now the storyline of my game, is making sure that this public disgrace doesn't go anywhere. Right. Yeah, because if there were no sabotages in the game, then public disgrace is essentially just like, all right, let's see who the leader is going to be. All right, they don't win. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just That's essentially what it is. Right. Well, we did it. We we announced the, the best action cards. We went through the whole thing in, in exact proper order. Mm-hmm. And we, it can never be disputed. It can't. It's, it's over. over. That's how they are. That's how it is forever. Um, I know probably a lot of people were surprised that Sabotage was not number one, uh, but it just ain't. It ain't. It just ain't. It, it just, just wasn't. It. When we did the math. Yeah, we did. When we did we all did that the math, math that you and yeah, I did. we did a lot of math. It wasn't number one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would say um, if, you know, if you guys have any comments of like, oh, you know, I feel like, you know, no, the, like direct to hit is not number 25. I think it should be more like number 26. Um, we did the math. We did the math. I don't know what so, to tell like, you. sorry, it's like it's kind of exactly where it should be. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, am excited about the amount of errata we're going to get uh, for this episode. Um, yeah. And Speaking of, what? We should do some errata about last action card episode. Okay, cool. Well, let's do that. All right. Good. 
Yes. Yep. How long because is this how, episode right you're now? You're looking at the time code. We're going to burn through it so fast. Just how watch me. long right, is this episode? We're like at two and a half hours. I don't know. The last action card episode was the longest episode ever, and this might be beating. Oh, my God. Let's do some errata. Okay, Here we yeah, go. let's do it. Brian the Bodacious says, Ambush, pre-combat abilities, yin stuff, and courageous then are all effects during combat that damage destroy units, so Necro does gain tech from them. So thank you for that correction <laughs> that we... <laughs> Bam. We, we, we mentioned. Bam. You, you Bam. get that. Hey, Matt, read uh, it again. Read it again. I know. Thank you. Listen, so Brian, Brian's breaking it all down um, for me and for anyone else who kind of gets messed up by all these annoying timings. Uh, you get that the invasion step includes a timing window to play disable. Steps one through five, including bombardment, parlay, space cannon defense, and ground combat. Bombardment and space cannon defense are not a part of ground combat, even though they are a part of invasion this is sort of like the same argument that ambush ends up getting space combat includes pre-combat effects effects steps one through five steps two through five are a round of combat so being inside of combat does not necessitate a combat role and being a part of invasion does not necessitate ground combat Uh uh-huh with all these timing windows so when you read action cards you have to think about the terms that they are specifically referring to if it's just space combat that's space combat at large if it's invasion that's invasion at large and includes things like bombardment and all those things pre-combat is not a part of a round of space combat but is a part of uh, is not a part of a round of space combat, but is a part of space combat. Anti-fighter barrage is not a combat role because anti-fighter barrage is an ability. Courageous to the end compares to the hit value and is not a combat role, so it's not affected by Sardak Nor, Nebula, Morale Boost, Hakan Flagship, Jolnar modifiers, but it's only playable during space combat, which is why Necro gets a tech off of it. Huh. Right. Uh, well, so somebody so listened to this three-hour episode and then got that very... You said, okay, so this was the craziest thing that anyone's ever said. You've got the bone to pick. I was going to let it sit, but you go ahead. Pre-combat is not part of a round of space combat, but it is part of space combat. What a game that we play. What a, what a stupid, what a game, stupid we game that we play. <laughs> That this speaking of more stupid pre-combat is no yeah. pre-combat is not a part of a round of space combat, but it is part of space combat. That actually reminds me of this time that uh, when I was working at this brewery, this uh, this lady ordered um, a. Uh, she was like, "Do you have any sour beers?" Uh, and I was like, "Oh yeah, we have a we have a Goza, which is a, a German style uh, beer, very traditional beer." Um, and uh, I, I gave it to her and, uh, and she said, oh, this, uh, I meant like a sour beer, like a beer that, um, like it's like a style, like it's been soured. Um, however, this was just a beer that tasted sour. And I hadn't really thought about that <laughs> distinction from that point. So she literally looked at me and w- no smile on her face, completely stone cold was just like, this is a sour beer, not a sour beer. <laughs> I want to die. <laughs> <laughs> um, unaligned magi says i can't remember if it was mentioned but one of the biggest pains for me with new players is playing multiple copies and why direct hit is okay but others aren't so we tried to cover i, I actually this was the one i tried to pre-errata within the episode um is to talk about yes direct hit again to quickly reiterate direct hit can be applied to multiple ships because each ship assigning its own hits is a different timing window which is why it's allowed Please try explaining that to a new player and watch their eyes roll into the back of their brain. Yeah, it's not um, fair, but it, it's a thing. 
There's a really good um, thread on Board Game Geek. That's the first time you've ever heard me say that. Um, <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, called Sabotage Timing. And in a comment by Scott Lewis, Dane spells out basically all of the confusing sabotage timing windows. And essentially, uh, for, for any weird questions about certain uh, action cards, after a decision has been made is when you can play the sabotage, but before any chance has been decided. That's why things like Plague, you have to choose the planet, but then if the person wants to sabotage it, they don't get to see the results yeah, of the roll. Yeah. Um, so if you want more specifics, find that sabotage timing thread and look for the comment by Sigma013. He's got it all laid out from what Dane kind of specifically said about a bunch of random action cards. Uh, we've got one more from Brian the Bodacious because he just really wouldn't leave me alone uh, after the last action card episode. And he said, something worth covering in action cards part two, it's always better to pay somebody to use a card on somebody else than to pay them to not use the card. They'll continue to threaten to use the card forever. This is like the number one argument about reactor meltdown, right? It's not only should the person playing reactor meltdown try to get paid to use it, but players who are getting it targeted at them don't need to let that action card sit anymore. So not only should you say, I'll give you two trade goods to not play it on me. You should say, I'll give you two trade goods to not play it on me and play it on Kevin um, right now. I need you to do that. That's what I'm paying. I'll give you a political secret to play it on Kevin right now because I need that to not be a thing I deal with you every single round. It's sort of like how I felt about you in the extra game, Hunter, mm -hmm. where you you got up next to me as I was like Sar or something and you just were going to keep threatening me with your flagship over and over again. You didn't have to send any fleets in and it was just going to completely ruin me over and over and over again. And I wish there had been a permanent way to pay you off. This is the action card version of being able to actually permanently pay them off. Right, right. All right, well, it's rundown time uh, of this super packed, extra long episode. Uh, you can check out the tweeter for game updates and announcements. Mm -hmm. uh, you can check out our mm -hmm. Facebook, Space Cats, Peace Turtles, for announcements, and you can send Matt questions. Um, sure can. Check out the subreddit, Twilight Imperium, uh, for our weekly posts and discussions that happen there. Um, you can go to our guild on Board Game Geek uh, for, to see what RoboFish is doing and how he's feeling mm -hmm. um, about He's still the there. Episodes. He never stops. Yeah. That we keep making this joke, and we only keep making this yep. joke because he continues yep. to come and comment on every post, and I'll never stop as long as he doesn't. Yep. Um, you can check out our Patreon, um, our, our, our Patronion, our Patron. Our you, can, you can be a Patron um, if you would like, uh, and there are various tiers and lots of uh, fun things that are offered in the tiers. Right now, I would say that it's very focused on the tournament um, that mm -hmm. is basically swallowing me and Matt's. Uh, lives whole life i want yeah. to try and play a good yin brotherhood game uh very soon though and it might would it yeah. would the thing that's crazy about it is that it would have to happen during the week which i realize would probably not work out for a lot of people um but, but essentially take this as an announcement gyb hit up hunter like seriously this week like after you yeah. listen to this episode yeah. and you hear this announcement start messaging hunter because he might be able to squeeze in a, i, I want to figure it out the and the scheduling week. will be uh difficult uh, yes. But I do want to do it. I just straight up want to play. So that's the thing. Yeah. Um, I haven't played in two months. Yeah. We don't get to. We don't get to play anymore. We don't get to play anymore yeah. because of this tournament. We do, we we don't get to play. We just watch people <laughs> play. Uh, <laughs> all right. Check out our Discord uh, for fun conversations and Pat Ron benefits for all you Pat Ron. Fun conversations like space combat includes pre-combat effects. Pre-combat <laughs> is not a part of a round of space combat, but is a part of space it's combat. It's not a part of that a round of, of space combat, but it is a part of space combat. Oh, okay, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
This game's dumb. Uh, <laughs> please rate us on your podcast app of choice, especially Apple Podcasts and uh, iTunes. Uh, I, hi, my name is Hunter. I'm a comedian. Um, check me out uh, every Thursday at a show called Earthquake Hurricane that I co-host with my friends. It uh, starts at 8 p.m. at Ford Food and Drink in Portland, Oregon. And also uh, on February 9th, um, we will be doing uh, another comedy bender show, uh, which is like a brunch comedy show that involves people reading like anonymous uh, stories. It's very funny. It's very great. That's on uh, February 9th. Uh, starts at noon at the Lamp, uh, which is a bar connected to the Aladdin Theater in Portland, Oregon. Uh... Hey, I got a thing. Yeah. I, I want to. I, you always get to do little plugs. I got a fun plug. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a weird one, but a movie I worked on two years ago called Antiquities just got released on iTunes. Ooh. And I was the second assistant director, which, if you don't know anything about film, is kind of a high up role. And I was really proud of everything that got done on that movie. And it's like the favorite, my favorite project I've ever worked on in Arkansas. And it's one of my very good friends that made it. And you should absolutely go watch Antiquities, Ooh. please. Uh, it's got like amazing talent in it. Some of the funniest like actors playing really weird parts. I told uh, the director it's the most convincing portrayal of complete weirdos I've ever like I've ever seen mm-hmm. on screen. Everyone is just so convincingly weird, and you're not just like oh they're just being a weird comedy bit part. It's like no 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 I believe that that person is a weird little freak, and mm-hmm. and I can't stop watching them. So. You gotta, you gotta see it. I really hope everyone goes out and buys it because Antiquities is a is a small Arkansas indie film that deserves support and uh, and can help grow that whole culture in this state that I like being in. Okay, cool. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess you did do a plug now. All of a sudden, well, uh, that actually reminds me to do my plug now. Um, oh no! I wrote a movie. Uh, and it's on my computer. So if you guys want to come by my house and <laughs> read the movie I wrote, it's actually a pretty, I, I'm the screenwriter of the movie. Um, it hasn't been made, but screenwriter is pretty big, pretty big job. And it's, uh, it's a, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. Uh, it's, it's about, it's like Grease, uh, but the car, Grease Lightning is the car, Christine, that like kills people. I want to thank some patrons. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to thank our space kiddies, Jim, Bob, Dustin, Do, Mac, the critic of chaos, Frederick Durston, Nathan Swenson, and Yin for life. Uh, we didn't. You'll notice that this episode was excruciatingly long, and we haven't talked about any games. We will uh, from the, the. We will next week. Next week's going to be. I don't know for sure yet if next week's going to be entirely games or not. But you're going to get a lot of game updates. Yeah, uh, in next we week's got a lot of games to talk sure. about. Um, and what? Where are we at with the YouTube as far as uh, the? We're getting caught up. There's there's been some technical disasters, so you know, game six, seven, and nine aren't great. They're not great now, <laughs> audibly. The audio is very very bad. Uh, but I uploaded them because some people just want to get the stuff up there so they can check out the the plays and see the stats. But you basically can't hear any of the conversation, and uh, I'm working to try to get that fixed. But it's a doozy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. But let's get out of here with a play of the week. Play of the week. From Sage1589, listening to the podcast, right? This is actually, I pulled this from the Discord. Sage did not submit this as a play of the week, but I thought it was so good, I had to steal it from him and use it as a play of the week. So Sage says, listening to the podcast right now and had to pause to share a story about Shard of the Throne. I had Shard and another player took it from me. Then I drew Repeal Law. When I was about to use it, David S. Knorr, the person running the uh, Austin tournament, the, the Lone Star Galactic Council tournament coming up, David S. Knorr stopped me 
to ensure I understood that if I repealed, the other player would keep the point, and he knew I had planned to take the point back before I got my repeal. With David's sound, if selective advice, I chose not to repeal. I say selective because that very round, David attacked the other player, taking the shard of the throne for himself and putting himself at eight points, then took a two-point objective for the win. It was beautiful and horrible. I was crushed and awed. I both I wept both in agony and in joyous pride that my fellow player had just pulled off an excellent con while also being a good game teacher. Wow. Both both very true. Both of those things though. I yeah. like good 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 advice. Good sound advice. Totally helpful. He was hundred percent right to help the player in the moment because if the player had misplayed the card, he would have regretted it. Yeah. He wouldn't have been able mm-hmm. to get that shot mm-hmm. of the throne and the other player would have kept the point. And also David but S. Nor would have not David won. Knew. won. So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> That's great. So David, you are a, a beautiful monster. That is and, and thank you for that. That's that's that that doesn't happen often. That's like once in a no. lifetime that time. That right there. That right there. <laughs> All right. Well, bye. Good night. Goodbye. Good night. Goodbye. Good that night. was, yeah. Ooh, wow. Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. Episode 69 Action Cards Part 2 No, that's not that one That's not the one